This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tecova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. Mobile hunters, are you looking for a lightweight, comfortable system to hunt out of this season? If you said yes, you should be checking out the Tethered Phantom Saddle. And you might be saying, Clint, how is this thing so comfortable? Well, let me tell you how. Comfort channels. Check. Comfort Channels allows simple one-handed adjustment for leaning trees. gives you full control where you need it most. If you need it in your lower back, you slot into the low comfort channel. If you need it up in, in, your, in your lower back or, I'm sorry, under your rear end, then you slot it into the low comfort channel. Utila Bridge. Check. You might be saying, hey, what is a, a Utila Bridge? This is a one-hand adjust-on-the-fly bridge system that allows you to kind of find that hunting sweet spot no matter where you hang your tether. Lineman loops. Check. You might be saying lineman loops. Psh, whatever. Overrated, right? Wrong. Lineman root loops. Lineman loops. A little bit more rigid to where you can easily find them in, in the dark. I don't know how, how many times I spent time trying to get my carabiner to clip into my lineman's loop and just wishing it was just a little bit more sturdy. The Phantom Saddle has you covered there as well. Made in America? 100%. And if that wasn't enough, they just recently came out with the Predator XL platform. This platform is 40% bigger and has improved traction over the current Predator. I hunt out of the current Predator, a little smaller profile. But if you're one of those fellows that's got some big feet, some big boots, you might want to check out the Predator XL. So if you want to learn more about Tethered and all their products, head to tetherednation.com. The first thing I do in the morning before a hunt, before a scout, or just before getting ready for work is have my morning coffee, and I'm sure most of you out there listening are the same. Make sure you're filling your mug with Skull Brew Coffee, as it is the only coffee company that is both 2% for conservation certified and donates 10% of its profits to conservation organizations to help secure the future of our wild places. So head to SkullBrewCoffee.com and choose between three killer roasts of coffee and know that you are supporting conservation with every sip. Welcome to the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast brought to you by Skull Brew Coffee Company. I'm your host, Clint Campbell, and you're listening to episode number 187. Today I'm joined by Kurt Geyer of Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, and we're talking everything from mature bucks to Wyoming bear hunts. So stay tuned. 
right, all right, all right. What is up, everyone? Happy Wednesday to you. Hope you are doing well. Hope you are feeling fine. Another day in the books, another week in the books headed toward whitetail season. Has had a busy whitetail weekend. I got to level with you guys, man. I'm uh, I'm on the struggle bus tonight. It's uh, I usually do these kind of get everything set up, do all my editing and stuff like that on Sundays uh, to wrap up the weekend. That way my week's kind of free to record new podcasts and take care of work things and stuff like that. But this past weekend, I, I did a, a quick road trip on a scout and got back late, late Sunday night. Uh, so that pushed all my work into, into Monday. And usually I like to do these on Sunday mornings whenever I have a little bit of coffee and I'm pretty fresh, feeling, feeling good. And uh, I'm doing this one after work late at night on, on, on Monday. So I'm a little bit on the struggle bus here. Sometimes my words aren't working, but we'll, uh, we'll try to power through it. But this past weekend, as I'd mentioned, I uh, did a little bit of an impromptu trip. Uh, I was planning to make this trip um, and then wasn't sure it was going to happen um, uh, with, a, with a buddy of mine. And then he just texted me. He was like, hey, we, we down for this weekend? And I was like, sure, let's do it. So it was it was a bit of a drive for me, so I jumped in the truck Thursday, uh, drove partway to to our destination. It's at an undisclosed location. I can't divulge where I was where I was at. That is classified information. Uh, but we headed to this uh, to this piece of public. Uh, really, it wasn't so much a scouting mission as as it was uh, more of just going and hanging hanging trail cameras and getting stuff kind of ready for uh, ready for fall because I won't be back there until I go um, before I hit that spot to uh, to hunt it in the fall. So. Was there this past winter, scouted out a bunch of areas. Um, you know, I'd hunted this this area before, uh, one time before. And um, you know, it's it's got great it's got great deer and everything that we had seen on camera in the past uh tell, tells us that there are still still great deer in uh in, in in that area. So this trip was really about headed down there and and kind of trying to sweeten some spots up if 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 you will. Um, and that was really kind of what the, what the mission was. So, and it was crazy hot. I mean, it's every time I, I go with this, this buddy of mine to somewhere to scout or hang cameras or whatever the case is, like he always picks the hottest weekend and it was like 96, 97 degrees, buggy, hot, humid, miserable. Um, just kind of the way I like it, I guess, cause I keep doing it over and over again. Uh, but I think we ended up setting maybe 12, 15 cameras, something, something like that. Uh, some places were in some areas where we had some, you know, some historical data, um, that we had, you know, maybe five years worth of information from, you know, trail cameras and stuff that have been run there in, in years past. Um, some places were brand new on uh, this particular piece. There was a new clear cut that we scouted this winter. Um, and the cool thing was, was that, you know, we knew by looking at the, that the forestry map or their, or their, their timber schedule, if you will, that there were going to be some additional cuts going on. And we had, had assumed that there was going to be, because we had seen some equipment that was there, um, when we were leaving in the you know late winter, early spring. And so we assumed some additional cuts were going to be done. We of course didn't know exactly where we thought we had a good idea. We looked at some of the forestry maps and stuff like that, where they kind of outline where their cuts are and, you know, this is a, of course, you know, public lands and in this particular area, public lands need to be managed for profit. And so they got to, you know, continue to do cuts to, to make that dollar, 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 dollar bill off of, uh, off these public lands. So, uh, so when we got into this piece, I actually wasn't, I didn't get to take a look at the the new cuts because they, uh, my buddies went out and checked this out on Friday before I got there. They got there a couple hours before me with a little bit of daylight left. And, uh, the main cut that was there was of course, you know, there in, in, in the winter when we got there. But the way they ended up kind of doing the, the rest of these cuts was kind of like a checkerboard cut where um, there were like five acre cut here, 10 acre cut there, you know, whatever the case was. And there was multiple of them. And the interesting thing about it was, is all the terrain features and where we found all the sign 
and where we ended up hanging cameras um, was like, so the sign from the winter that we found was all undisturbed. Like they didn't do any cutting in those general areas. And those were all the terrain features. There was like these, these benches and these saddles that we found and stuff like that. All those terrain features kind of stayed, stayed the same or all the sign and all the terrain features related to that sign stayed the same. The really cool part was though, is that in this area, you know, it's, it's big woods, um, you know, a lot of hilly terrain and so forth. And there's just not a lot of structure in these areas. So you get really kind of, it's hard to find, to find, you know, lines of travel for, for, for deer. And if you do, they can be kind of long lines of travel where it's like, you know, in, in farm country with a lot of structure, you can kind of, you know, say, Hey, it's going to take a buck and maybe you have him on camera. And it's like, he has a three day route or a three day circle that he's going to run and rut or whatever the case is. Right. But you kind of know to a degree, like what his lines of travel are going to be because there's a lot of structure, there's a lot of edge. In this place, there's not a lot of that. Um, you're really kind of relying on finding like bench systems and it's really about finding terrain features that tie one ridge to to the next ridge and stuff like that. That way they're easily able to get from ridge to ridge to ridge to check doe bedding to doe bedding to doe bedding. And the cool thing about the way these cuts kind of laid out was it provided a bunch of structure in, in this particular area and all the structure that it created was actually enhancing the existing terrain features that they were already using. So it's like the structure was overlaid with the terrain feature that was already being utilized. So it just kind of reinforced the travel that was already occurring there. The, the added bonus is, is that it should be pretty good this year. Um, those cuts should be, cause they should be acting as food plots and there was some hammer tracks that were there. Um, so, so that's a good sign. So those food, those, those, um, those cuts this year will really be, you know, you know, what we'll call public land food plots for lack of a better way to put it. And it'll probably be really good for, you know, it'll be okay this year, really good next year, really good the year after, and probably okay the year after that. And then after, you know, year four, probably it starts to kind of diminish a little bit as it starts to grow up and there's not maybe as much, you know, accessible food or starts to get a little thicker and, you know, fewer and fewer bedding opportunities. Um, but this year it should be really good from a, from a food standpoint and really attract, you know, does of course, which, you know, the one thing you need in this area, it's like when you can find areas with structure, you know, that's bonus because deer will use it because there's not a lot there. And then if you have an area that has structure that also provides adequate doe bedding, then that is like double bonus. And that's what this area is going to basically provide. The only kind of bummer is it's an easy access area, which most of the stuff we have there that we hunt is, is, is pretty hard access. Um, it's a pretty easy access area, but there's a, there's like one or two terrain features that we we did hang a camera on because there was sign that was laid down there, and I can almost guarantee you that's where you know guys are going to stop or you know girls or whomever's walking in is going to stop at those first spots because it's the closest to the truck, closest to where you would park, and it's going to be really obvious. It's like it's it's in a it's in a the first one's in a saddle, and there's there was a pretty decent sized scrape there um, this winter when we scouted and we hung a camera there. Cause we, you know, look, we're going to get some inventory there, but once we get to like, you know, get into October and start pushing toward, you know, November, maybe even pull it in, in September, it's just a really heavily kind of traveled area. Like we should be able to get the inventory that we need. And then we'll probably end up pulling that camera, um, from that, from that spot, because we'll have the inventory that we need and we'll let the other cameras that we have set in that, in that area kind of soak and, 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 and do their work. Um, but that spot there is kind of, you know, we're almost kind of giving that up knowing that other folks are probably going to hunt it because it's, it's the most obvious spot. So it was a really good weekend. The only downside was, is I came back with some chigger bites and some poison ivy, you know, so it wouldn't be a, uh, it wouldn't be a trip into the timber this time of year for me, at least if I don't come home with some type of, you know, rash, itchy, 
itchy kind of nonsense. But that's really the only update we have uh, have in terms of whitetails this upcoming weekend. You know, I'll try to get into the timber and pull some cards around here in PA that I still have yet to pull. I have like five, seven cameras yet that I need to check. Um, most of them in brand new spots. So I need to make that, uh, I need to make that happen. And then of course, wrap up the trailer, hopefully here in the next couple of weeks. So, but with that, I have a cool show for you today. I have my buddy, uh, Kurt Geyer on from the working class, uh, bow hunter podcast. Um, Kurt's one of those dudes. We have a bunch of mutual friends. Um, probably shouldn't have taken us, taken us this long to get on a podcast together, but you know, schedules being what they are and, you know, just it, schedules just really didn't really didn't match up and when we were both at trade shows he's busy i'm busy and 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 those types of things so we've just really never had a chance to to sit down and chat but we have a bunch of mutual friends that always suggested we should get together and chat and so it just felt like this is the time we should do it you know kurt uh, you know of course runs the 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 working class bow hunter podcast he lives in the lives in the midwest um big time deer hunter of course hunting hunting mature bucks and then this past year went on a killer Wyoming bear hunt. And the cool thing about, you know, Kurt is that he and I share a lot of, a lot of similar backgrounds. So we talk a little bit about that as well, just culturally, like where hunting's headed, uh, where we see it possibly going, you know, what our opportunities are. And I think that's one of the things that working class bow hunters is really trying to do. And that's a little bit what we talk about is trying to open it up, you know, opportunities for folks who maybe don't look like, sound like your, you know, quote unquote, typical hunter, and let folks know that, hey, you know, you can be a little weird and uh, have a place to uh, call home if you want to come into this hunting community. So without further ado, let's go ahead and get Kurt on the line. All right, folks, welcome back to another episode of the Truth From The Stand Deer Hunting Podcast. And today I have on a, a, a guest. That, this is a fellow, in all honesty, that I probably should have had on a long time ago. We run in very similar circles, have a lot of very uh, mutual, good mutual friends and I'm I'm actually a little embarrassed that it's taken this long to actually have this fellow on. I have on my buddy, Mr. Kurt Geyer from the Working Class Bow Hunter. What's going on, brother? Hey, brother. Thanks for having me. And I do agree. I'm a little embarrassed as well. I should have done this. <laughs> I know we talked. I mean, probably a couple of years ago about doing a back and forth podcast or whatever. And it's it's just how it is, man. We're all busy, but yeah. I, I I am a little embarrassed with you. <laughs> yeah, I know, man. It's like because we have so many mutual friends. It was I think the first person that tried to attempted to connect us attempted at matchmaking was uh, i think our buddy kevin vistason um got a hold of me he's like hey he's like do you know well he's like hey do you know kurt and i was like yeah i was like i mean i know the podcast or whatever i was like i've never i never talked to him and he's like you know what you guys should you should you should do a podcast together and i was like that's a great idea and then it, it, and then it just didn't happen and then i think like a year later he ended up we were talking and he was like hey did you ever talk to kurt and I was like, you know what? I never did. And so it was literally that day I called you from the truck as I was driving. I was like, I was like, fuck it. I'm going to call him right now. That way I uh-huh. don't forget. And I called you and we, we were talking. I think you were actually doing dishes because <laughs> I heard dishes at the background. And, uh, it probably was. Yeah. And I was like, we should do a podcast. You're like, yeah, yeah, let's set it up. And we were both, it was summer. So I think we were, it was probably right about this time. So of course, hunting season's getting ready to, you know, get crazy with like, yep. you know, getting prepped and stuff like that. And uh, we were like, yeah, let's catch up in a couple of weeks whenever our schedule's clear. And then like, literally we never spoke <laughs> again, you know, and then that's, uh, go that's ahead. normal, man. Because I, now I'm, I'm trying to do better with that type of thing because I, I'm like, okay, let me look at my calendar. Bother me in three days. If you don't hear from me, like I, I'm embarrassed to have to do that, but my brain is so just go, go, go all the time that it'll slip up. Like there's people I've been trying to get on the podcast where it just didn't align for I oh, man, I'm in, I, I'm just embarrassed. Like you, you hit the nail on the head right out the gate. Like I feel bad. It takes that long, but 
everybody's schedules. We're all doing something different and life happens and hunting season happens and then everything shuts off. So yeah, it's, it's all good, man. We're in the same boat. Yeah. It's a, uh, it will, especially when hunting season hits, man, it's just like a complete crap shoot. You know what I mean? It's like, cause <laughs> you know, guys are following weather fronts and stuff like that. And, and especially, you know, if you don't live in the same general area where it's like, you might be catching a cold front on Friday. Right. And I'm like, and you're like, oh, I can't do the podcast. The cold front's coming. Like, okay, cool. Yep. And then that same, you're like, well, I can do Tuesday. And I'm like, oh man, that same cold front hitting me Tuesday. You know what yep. I mean? So that's very true. You know, it's hard to continue to have industry people on during what our industry is for. Yeah. Yeah. So you, it really is, man. And you have to almost get into like the micro, like regional, you know, air, like your regional area. Cause everyone's kind of chasing the same, the same weather to a degree if they can, you know what I mean? So exactly. I do the same thing where it's like a lot of, you know, my in season, you know, podcasts will be guys, you know, from, from New York or, you know, or, or Jersey or Pennsylvania and just like, you know, guys who I know are either one tagged out or two chasing the same kind of weather fronts that I'm, that I'm chasing. So I know they're probably available those days, but exactly. That's why I have like my buddies, Austin Chandler and like Ross bigger. They're in studio a lot more when hunting seasons around, because one, we don't live that far apart. And it's kind of like, Hey, it's, it's crazy warm today. Like we're going to save our, our hunting time and get some content and come out to the studio. And that's when we rock a rock. A lot of those whitetail focused podcasts out like week by week type deal. So, yeah, man, that's, that's nice having a studio, you know, in a, in like a, a stable of dudes that, that kind of roll with you. You know what I mean? Like that's, that's one thing that probably regrettably that I didn't, that I didn't do. Um, and it's, I don't know. It, it probably was from like my music background where it's like, I was so used to being in bands for so long that I got so burned out on, trying to schedule around other people like for rehearsals and gigs and stuff like that to where I was like, when I started this, I was like, you know what? I'm going to do it a one man show. <laughs> I was like that way. If in like a year I decide to pull the plug on it, I don't have to explain that to anybody else <laughs> while I'm pulling the plug, <laughs> while I'm pulling the yeah. plug on it. You know what I mean? So, but yeah. that's, I mean, you got a good crew of dudes, um, that, that you, that you're able to roll with, which is, uh, which is nice, you know? Yeah. I'm very fortunate that I have like a good support team and guys that believe in, you know, my idea from the beginning and one to, continue it on and continue to support us and everything like that you know from as you know we have like our close circle of guys but then we have i call them the wcb ogs right it's this group of guys that have really just supported us hardcore from the beginning and really believe in everything we're doing so we're, i'm i'm very fortunate and the whole team's very fortunate to have that so it's been great but i hear what you're saying like you know i've done solo podcasts like with me and one other person before and mm -hmm. that's nice like kind of a malleable platform you know like it's not it's kind of like, well, where's the rest of the guys if I'm just on? But it's not like, this isn't the show if it's just me. Like, I can still do it, but it's not the same, but it still gets us through what we need to get through. Right, right. And, and I definitely, you know, you know, I, I try to have, like, I, I probably do it. It's more of like a, a panel version when I get to have, like, a group of dudes on. Because it's usually, for me, is, like, around show season and stuff like that when everyone's going to be at the same places and stuff like that. You know, um, just because a lot of the guys I talk to, you know, are all you know, they're in Ohio, they're in Illinois, they're in Iowa, they're in, you know, wherever, or, you know, Jersey, but close by like my buddy, Greg Litzinger, like lives close by, but dude, we're oh, all, yeah. you know, we're all working dudes, you know, that have families and stuff like that. And so just trying to schedule time to do it even is, you know, can be challenging, you know, cause like you were saying during whitetail season, man, it's like everyone's grinding. And then whenever you're outside of whitetail season, it's like, I mean, I got a honey do list, <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm, and I'm trying to crank through that stuff that way, whenever, you know, for me, mid September rolls around, it's like, I'm free and clear and can do whatever I need to do. So, yeah, 
But uh, before yep. we get jumped into to things too far, man, you know, we, we mentioned working class bow hunter. You know, that's the that's the platform that you that you that you started. But for those out there that might not be as familiar with you, if you wouldn't mind, just give everyone a little bit of background about you know what you do professionally, what you do in the whitetail world, and you know where you're from. Yeah, so Kurt Geyer, like we covered, um, I work for John Deere Product Development. Um, that's kind of just the the short version of my title. I'm um, just work on combine and seeding equipment, um, doing uh, working on experimental stuff, um, and then I run the Working Class Bow Hunter podcast. We've been going for about five and a half years, an episode every week. Um, we had a video series on Carbon TV for a while, and just having a good time in the hunting hunting industry and trying to bring like a new angle and a new vibe and a new. Uh, we're trying to pave our own way a little bit in style and change the outlook on what industry people are kind of looked at, I guess, and more of a real comfortable feeling type thing, if that makes any sense. No, it totally um, does, man. Like, I, I, and I dig that approach because, you know, it's a funny, you know, going back to the whole idea that, you know, we have a lot of mutual friends, um, you know, one specifically Johnny Utah, you know, that's a yeah. good, good, you know, mutual buddy of ours. Great dude. And the one thing, the one thing he and I have talked about and that I appreciate about what you guys do and just the little bit that you and I've had a chance to talk, this is kind of where I felt like, why I was embarrassed why it's taken so long. Cause I feel like we're kind of kindred spirits in this way is that, yeah. you know, hunting is really kind of, you know, it, it looks different today. Like folks, you're trying to get into hunting, right? It's like, and, and John and I've talked about this in the past, just like, you know, now, you know, when you look at dudes like you or Greg Litzinger or Johnny Utah or whatever, it's like, you know, guys that grew up in the, you know, eighties, nineties, somewhat in the seventies, you know, I was born in 78, you know, but like, Grew up skateboarding, grew up listening to rock and roll and punk rock and grew up getting tattoos and going to shows and, you know, and, <laughs> yeah. and that was very much a part of our life. And then, but there was this other part where it's like, I grew up in a rural area. And so like the whole upbringing of uh, the country upbringing, like the country ethics, the work ethos and stuff like that, I still have, but enjoy this other aspect of life that people would probably consider to be a little bit urban, but it's not really, you know what I mean? It was just more of like a passion of like music and like counterculture. Um, which I appreciate, you know, I think that what you're kind of saying is like, you're trying to like give people a different lens and show them, Hey, if you want to get into hunting, like you don't have to, you don't have to look or be a, a certain anything. You can, you can be whomever you are and, and, and you'll be able to be accepted into the group. All right, folks, we're back. We got Kurt back on the line. Sorry, we had a little bit of a technical difficulty. Just go figure. A couple guys who run a podcast for a bunch of years having <laughs> challenges running a podcast, right? <laughs> it's kind of part. It's kind of part for the course. But uh, what we were talking about <laughs> was, you know, hunting looking different and appreciating the avenue you guys are kind of taking or the path you guys are, you know, trying to trying to go down of, you know, opening up hunting to other, other folks and saying, Hey, you don't have to look, act or come from a certain place to be accepted into this group. And I think that's a really cool perspective you guys are taking. Thank you, man. Yeah, for sure. And you know, I, I I'll take blame for the technical, so test, technical, God, I drink too much. I can't say the word right now. <laughs> um, I live in the middle of nowhere, so I have no internet. I'll just right. say that. Um, but yeah, I always, I grew up being like the kid, the uh, the edgy BMX kid with big gauges in his ears that also hunted. So I went to a school with a lot of kids and I was one of the few people who hunted the way I did. And I had some buddies that were like dabbled in it, but no, no one I could really like talk to in depth with and all that. So I did a lot of my hunting with guys that are a lot older than me, guys I grew up hunting with. Um, but basically I kind of went to straightening out my, like my look and stuff more to what I thought the hunting industry wanted it to be if I was going to be in the industry. You know what I mean? Yeah. And then I basically 
once I started the podcast, I was like, oh, we got to be like cleaning our language up, act a certain way. And then I realized after a few episodes, it didn't really matter. And then I should just do what I want to do anyway. So that's what right. we've always like that angle that we've always tried to hit along the whole way. So, yeah, no, it totally makes sense, man. Cause you can definitely get caught up in that stuff, man. Cause I, I know for me, you know, it was uh, a little bit different. Like I grew up in a really rural area in Pennsylvania that I affectionately refer to as Pennsylvania or Pennsylvania. You know, it probably has more in relationship <laughs> to those, you know, those States than it does Pennsylvania for the, for the most part. Um, yeah. but, but it was big time hunting culture, you know what I mean? Um, you know, the, the orange army style hunting culture, you know? Um, and so yeah. everybody, I mean, you would go to school, you know, buck season would come in, you know, rifle season would come in on, on like the first Monday after Thanksgiving and there would not be a soul at school, like nobody, right. To where they just gave <laughs> us the first day off, like every year, the first day of buck season, the first day of doe season. Um, and it was just like everybody hunted. I mean, it wasn't even a question as to whether or not you were, you were going to, but I it similarly, you know, kind of grew up hunting with guys that were older than me. It's like, I didn't really have, you know, the guys I hung out with, like my friends, quote unquote, you know, all the guys I skateboarded with and stuff like that. Like none of them really hunted, you know, it was all the guys yeah. that like, you know, cause not only did I hunt, but it's like, I also, you know, wrestled, like I liked grappling and stuff like that. So I enjoyed like that hand to hand kind of combat kind of aspect of things. Truthfully, my dad got me into it because he was like, you have a little bit of a violent streak. We should probably get you into something before you hurt somebody. So that was kind of like the <laughs> rationale behind that. Because uh, I, I had a bunch it of... It sounds a lot like me, actually. <laughs> yeah, I had a lot of... Rough... I grew up doing... I don't know if you knew this or not. I grew up doing kickboxing and everything like from the time I was eight. And I probably quit doing it when I was like 20, 21. Nice. Um, <laughs> so that's, that's funny i didn't know that we had that in common yeah yeah well it was you know i grew up with a lot of roughneck cousins you know what i mean where it's like our idea <laughs> of fun was you know shoot each other with pellet guns and then literally run it run each other over with a four-wheeler you know what i mean that was like our style of pennsylvania fun. things right yeah pennsylvania things and uh you know it, it, my dad was like my cousins wrestled and stuff like that and my dad was like you know this would probably be good for you just like you know to get out that teenage aggression, whatever, not sure what to do with all that energy. Like it's put you in something that'll tire you out type of thing. Um, and you know, so I had that wrestling like group of friends and stuff like that, but they were just really wrestling buddies. That I would go to tournaments with and stuff like that. Like we really didn't hang out much outside of that. You know, it wasn't like they, we didn't skateboard together. We weren't into music together and stuff like that. So I had kind of like a separate group of friends that I did all that yeah. stuff with. Um, and it was really weird, you know, talking about like have to look or be a certain way. Whenever I got into music and that was, became like the serious thing that I was going to do, it's like I remember kind of thinking that for like a little while and even had like a manager, like when we ended up, you know, getting a record deal and stuff like that to where they were like, hey, we need you to be a certain way. And like, dude, it just felt so icky. I was like, I can't, I can't do it. I was like, if this oh, is yeah. what it takes to like make money, I was like, then I probably won't make any in this. I was like, cause this is not, this isn't my bag ultimately. And that's right. kind of what I appreciate well, about the hunting industry is just that, you know, it's come full circle a little bit to where it's kind of come as you are. I think at least with this newer breed or this, you know, new group that's kind of coming through. I would, I would agree with that for sure. I would say I, I didn't feel that way at first. Like, I don't know. I always like refer to like the feel and look of like what ATA show is, but I don't really think that's like an accurate judge anymore, but right. it, it's changed a lot from, when I first went till, till now, you know, so right. it is cool to see the shift and you're starting to see different platforms relaxing a little bit and all that. So it, it's a good thing. I, I think personally. Yeah. Yeah. No, I totally, I totally agree with you. Cause I think, you know, not telling any tales out of school, but it's like, unless we open it up and are, 
you know, a little bit more inviting, it's going to be, it's going to limit our opportunities and our, our voices as we go forward and so forth, which I think they're finally kind of recognizing yeah. that with some of the stuff, at least I've heard from the NDA and the QDMA getting together. Like I heard an interview with those folks and it's like, and they were really kind of talking about like more of the marketing angle and how do we become a little bit more open and welcoming to like these folks who think that this lifestyle is shut off to them. You know, which is not right. a place you want to be if you want to grow grow the sport and make sure that we have the things we need to have to, you know, make sure we enjoy this for the long term. So, well, absolutely, it's got to be appealing to everyone, and that's like where different styles. Like, you know, I, I guess to some people, I'm probably just like a straight up redneck, but I guess the people in the industry they don't really see it like straight as that. You know what I mean? Right. Um, but if if because the way we talk or look or whatever gets a few people into hunting, we're doing our job. Um, you know, I have friends that were never into hunting and as they got older, like one of my best friends just reached out. He lives in Columbus, Ohio. And he's like, Hey man, I'll, I kind of want to learn how to hunt. And he's a dude that is not a redneck at all. He's an inner city guy. He's a big barber in Columbus, like covered like his whole face is tattooed covered that covered in tattoos, you know? Right. And he reached out. He's like, Hey man, I'm thinking about buying a bow. I just think it's a cool thing to do. I know where my meat's coming from. I really like the idea of it you know, help me learn. And so that hearing that stuff is like, that's cool. It's open it up to guys like that. Yeah. Um, so yeah. it's, it, that's a good thing. We start appealing outside of our circle and that's the goal. Yeah. I think it, I had a similar kind of experience where I was working with a, with a guy and I work in marketing and advertising ad agency. And so it's very much, um, you know, and I live in Philadelphia, so it's just, you know, going to call it what it is. It's, it's a very liberal space, right? Um, very blue yeah. space, if yeah. you will. Um, and uh, plenty of folks who are anti-hunting, anti-gun and stuff like that. And so I kind of feel that it's my mission, especially being someone who works in that environment, to make sure that I kind of, um, whenever someone asks me questions, that I appropriately address those questions. And I'm not mindful of like the words I use. Like I'm not, I'm not trying to be that PC because I want to paint an honest picture of what it is. But I also want to you know, make sure that I'm making it to where they understand the, the value in it, how I you know, respect it. And that it's something that could be on the table for them if they were interested, you know, and I had, yeah. a, I had a buddy and, and I think there's a couple ways to do it. I think food is one way to do it, which I think is a pretty obvious way. But I think the other way too is adventure. Like, cause what I found, at least the buddy that came to me and was like, Hey, I'd like to try hunting. Like I would come back from an elk hunt in Montana and he's big into the outdoors. Like he, he rock climbs and, you know, he grew up doing some fishing and stuff like that, you know, doesn't have any hunters in his family <laughs> and stuff. And we were talking mm -hmm. about eating wild game and he was, it was around Thanksgiving and I was hoping, you know, you know, I was like one, at one point some year, I would like to kill a turkey and eat it for Thanksgiving. Cause I, we used to do that growing up and I haven't done that in years. Yeah. And he was like, well, man, he's like, if you get one, can I try some? Um, I was like, sure. You know, he's like, I've never had wild turkey. And I was like, oh really? I was like, well, I was like, why don't I do you one better? I was like, I'll just take your turkey hunt and you kill your own. And he was like, seriously. No, that's awesome. You know, good and for he, you on that, man. Yeah. He was like, seriously. And I was like, yeah, I was like, why not? And he was like cool. He's like, what do I need to do? And, um, so, you know, I was like, Hey, let's get your license. And I took him to the store and well, he, he went through the courses on his own. He did like whatever it was, like 10 courses he had to take to get his license. He did all that. And I took him to the store and got him his, got him his license. And then we went out to a buddy of mine's place and we shot some shotguns together. Now he skeet shooted in the past. So he was familiar with handing and, uh, you know, handing a handling a shotgun. And, um, yeah. And so we shot some and he had a, he was actually, honestly, I shoot my bow way more than I shoot anything else. And so I suck at shooting a shotgun. He was way better than me. So I'm a little embarrassed about that. <laughs> um, and, uh, and we took him out and it was just cool to see like, so what got him into it was the idea of like, 
he would hear me talk about these adventures I was having on like these hunts out West and stuff like that. And that was appealing to him, the story. Right. And then that opened him up to the idea of like, well, what do you do with it afterwards? And so then we started talking (laughs) about food and he's real into like good beers and stuff like that. And so, you know, the foodie side of him started going like, well, this is kind of interesting. There's a story. Yeah. It's good food. Right. And so that's, so the appeal became, you know, like, I want to try this because, because of that. Now he didn't get a turkey. We heard a couple gobbles, you know, we, the the first day we took him out. We did see a fox really up close. But the thing was, was like we walked in in the dark and he had never done that. Like that to him, like we <laughs> take that for granted. But that to him was like an adventure. He's like, I've never walked into the woods in the pitch black before and not <laughs> and not know where I'm going. You know what I mean? And I was like, oh, shit, I didn't even think of that. Like, that's probably kind of freaky for you. That's hilarious. Yeah. I'm like, we didn't talk about that. Like, I should have warned you. Like, we're going to go in the dark. We're going to hear weird <laughs> shit. You know, but it's cool. We're so used to that, that we don't have to think of like we, that's just part of it for us that, yeah, that I can see that for sure. Because I've had that conversation with some of my brother-in-laws are like, you walk in the woods in the dark and then walk out in the dark. I'm like, yeah. Like, aren't you scared? I'm like, yeah, but of what? You know, like we're the scariest thing in there in Illinois. Right. Or in Pennsylvania. I mean, mean, you you guys have bears and stuff, but I mean, for the most part, we're the scariest thing in the woods. Yep. So that is funny as hell to think about that because. Yeah, walk in the woods in the dark for what? Yeah. You know what I mean? To where? It's normally like, it's like it's Halloween or something. They're walking through a, uh, like one of them haunted forest things. Or <laughs> exactly, man. Well, just paint the picture in your mind, right? Like of like, I'm with like one dude that he knows and me, one dude with my friend Wilson who he's met one time and shot shotguns with, and another, another guy that we were hunting with who he's never met in his life, right? All of us carrying, uh-huh. all of us carrying guns into the dark. <laughs> to an undisclosed location. You know what I mean? Like, so yeah. put yourself in his situation. Like I'm with three guys with guns that have all done this before. I'm walking into the woods in the dark with them. And that's a lot of trust. You know what I mean? It, yeah. The odds are against him at that point. Yeah. Yeah. If things go south, <laughs> it's like you're, you're in a bad way real quick, you know? So that's funny. But, but I mean, to your point, man, it's like, and I think the weird, like, I don't know, man. I, I always try to find the silver lining in things, right? Like when shit goes bad, I try to figure yeah. out like what what's the positive out of this, right? And like you know, our you know, not telling any uh, secrets here when I say like you know we you know the the overall country in many ways has been kind of in a weird spot like since January. Um, and yeah. I think the silver lining possibly could be I've had more people ask me about hunting. And if I would show them some things or if I would maybe take them to hunt or if I would, you know, teach them how to handle a gun or ask me about, you know, you know, gun laws. And I'm not an expert, but they see me as the person that's an expert because I hunt and own guns. You know what I mean? So they assume that I'm a good resource for them. But I've had more people who I would not suspect ask me about those things in the past five months, either call me or, you know, whenever it was socially acceptable here in Pennsylvania to have someone over for like dinner and them ask me about like, hey about hunting or, Hey, would you take me to a shooting range to shoot? I want to learn how to handle a gun. And so to me, it's very cool. Yeah. To, to me, the silver lining of all this is, is that it's created a sense of reality for people of like why these things are actually important. Like remove the conservation aspect of it. Right. Cause that's important. Right. Cause our money goes to doing those things, which is incredibly important. But if you look at it beyond that and say, man, if shit hits the fan, even for a short period of time, like, don't you want to be able to provide for your, for your home? You know what I mean? Like, isn't that something right, you would you like have to the be able to do? Of, yeah. Like you want to feel confident that like, if 
shit really hits the fan, I, I'll be okay. You know, like it's, I don't doubt, like, give me a few days. I'll kill something with my bow and arrow. If it comes down to that point, like I will put an arrow in some sort of meat source. If yep. my family needs it, right. you know, if it comes down to, we got to eat right now type mm-hmm. of thing, you know, yeah. um, that confidence is nice. I, I really haven't seen too much. I'm also surrounded by mostly outdoor people. I don't, you know what I mean? I don't live in like the city or anything like that, Mm -hmm. where people are like unfamiliar with guns and stuff like that as much. What I have noticed lately, and I don't know if it's because like our podcast has grown and maybe like, um, I don't know. I, I guess in a way I have a little more notoriety in the hunting game to some of the people around me, like in my local area. Right. But I have had a lot of people that have only hunted for a few years or maybe hunted for five years or so but haven't really figured out like the big buck thing or haven't got their first buck with a bow yet. I've had a lot of those people lately reach out. Um, I think it's probably, I'm, I'm kind of changing the subject, but not really. So sorry. Um, I think it's with this surge of available content and hunting um, and tactics and stuff like that. People are more interested in trying to get on more mature animals. Mm-hmm. So I've had a surge of people that have been hunting for a little bit that haven't had an encounter with a big buck reach out to me to kind of like guide them or help them out in certain spots that I think is super fun and super cool. Um, and yeah. it kind of tests me a little bit too, to make sure I actually know what the hell I'm doing. <laughs> <laughs> I know man, preach there, dude. Cause it's, it's a, uh, and I think the difference is, is I think you hit the nail on the head. It's demographics of where we each are living, right? It's like for you, it's like you're around yeah. outdoorsmen and their logical questions are, are circling around. Well, how do I get better at this? Right. Where my right. The folks that I'm, you know, in, you know, I'm around most days are, I don't, I couldn't tell you the difference between, you know, an elk and a deer if I had to, you know what I mean? Like, and I'm being <laughs> right. honest in some of those cases, but I know that I need to learn how to like, I need to figure out how to hunt because this pandemic scared the shit out of me because I thought I was not yeah. going to be able to get food. You know what I mean? So it's just different yeah. folks, but it's interesting getting those questions, man. So how do you, you know, cause you know, doing, doing a podcast, right. It, you know, or in, in YouTube videos or whatever, you know, you, you know, and, and some of these things that we do are kind of, um, intuitive, right. It's like, you just kind of do them, yeah. right. It's like, cause I'll talk to whomever, man, like whomever we, we, you know, a guy like Greg Litzinger, right. Or a Dan Enfold or whatever. And we'll be talking with them. And it's like, there's certain things where it's like, like some of those dudes are just next level. And he's telling me mm-hmm. about something. I'm going, shit, man, how, I need to remember this. Like, this is next level stuff. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and I'm like, yeah. and then whenever I go to the woods, I'm thinking about it and, you know, and it take, takes, you know, a year of trying it and figuring out how it works and if it works for me and what situations it's going to work in. And, but for him, it's just, it's just how he thinks about when he hits the woods. And then at the same time, it's like, to your point, it's like, there's certain things that I've grasped now at this point that allows me to have a certain level of success and encounters and stuff like that that are intuitive to me, but I forget sometimes they're not intuitive for other people. And then to try to figure out how to explain it is hard whenever it's like, like playing the wind and working thermals, you know, it's like, you can't see, you can't touch it. Like, how do you explain to someone how you, how you work that? You know what I mean? So how do you usually approach that when you get to, when you get those types of questions? Like when someone asked me about like a, like what would this use wind as an example? Yeah. Um, like, how do I explain how I use the wind? Is that kind of what you're getting at? Yeah. Yeah. Or like, whatever it may be like, a, I guess that'd be like what I consider like a deeper tactic. Like you're diving into the rabbit hole a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Um, I kind of just explained this. So, um, I just got access to a new piece of property with two guys that I know that, um, they've been hunting for a few years, but haven't killed like a big, big buck. 
I'm like, hey, we got access to this piece, and we haven't really hunted it yet because we've been focusing all our efforts on this other piece. Can you sh- show us around, and we'll go with the property. And, and then I was talking, I was like, well, we got to just – I started talking about quartering winds a little bit. And then he's like, quartering winds? And these guys have never killed, a, like, a truly mature buck, and they're great dudes, really awesome guys, especially to invite me on a ground to hunt with them. Right. Um, but they just didn't think about the wind as much. Like they haven't really dove into that next like layer of, or that next level down into the rabbit hole, I guess you could say. And they're like, well, we don't really hunt the wind at all. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, whoa. I was like, well, you guys got to think like if you're a big buck and this, and this is just how I broke it down for them. I'm like, if you're a big buck and you rely on your nose for almost everything, where you're going to bed, how you're going to approach your food source, how you're going to approach your bedding area, how you're going to walk from anywhere point A to point B, you need wind to know what's going on in front of you if you can't see that way or whatever, you know. It's, this is just how I broke it down for them. They're like, shit, that is a, a right. that makes perfect sense. I never thought about that before. And I'm like, yeah, well, think about this. You think, okay, the field is to the north, and I'm going to hunt, and I expect the deer to come from the south to the north, I don't want a north wind blowing right to where the deer are coming from. And I'm like, well, yeah. I was like, but think you want a wind where the deer think the wind works for them, but it also works for you. And a lot of times that's considered a quartering wind. And I explain like how to sometimes set up on a quartering wind where if you're expecting a buck on a certain trail, how you're on one side of the trail. So the wind is blowing to the deer, but it's perfect for you too. So the right. deer is, the wind is working for him, but he can't smell you on that wind. Right. And I, they were kind of like, Oh shit, that yeah. does make sense. I never <laughs> thought about that. Right. And that's kind of the same thing. Like I have, that happened to me on a podcast, like our first year, year and a half into recording. Um, my buddy Clark Cummings explained like quartering winds. And I was like, kind of knew or thought I knew how to get around winds. But the way he broke it down for like the quartering wind situation for me at his high level of his experience, you know, probably 15 more years of hunting experience or so than I have, that woke me up a little bit to start paying attention to that. And I still find myself struggling Mm -hmm. to remember that all the time for my stand locations. Like I have to consciously remind myself of that when I'm doing things. And even then, like I had to think about it when I explained to them a little bit and I even had to I had to think about it pretty hard and just explain it now. Right. It's not one of those things that just comes naturally. Cause I don't think it's that easy to see or to know because it takes some thinking. It's kind of like an equation. If yeah. that makes any sense. Yeah, um, no, it really does. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history designed by John Browning. The 1911 was the standard issue sidearm of the U S military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. But I try to break break it down like that form with like maps and kind of detail it out. And sometimes it's muddy, even for me when I'm looking at it. And then I'll be honest, I'm like, I don't know until we get there and look at things. You know, there might be a trail here that we can't see on Onyx that we're going to be like, oh shit, this is what they're doing. And then we'll just peel into it from there. So this new piece that we're going, I'm just trying to give them, like, let's start from the outside and work our way in. There's no need to dive deep and then come out from there right out the gate when we don't know anything about this property. Um, So I don't know if that makes any sense, but that's kind of how I... 
It, it totally does, man. I mean, that's like, that's, that's probably how I would approach it too. It's like, you take a scenario and you try to walk them through it and you're right, man. Like wind is like one of the hardest things to kind of, I guess, remember because it's, there's so many things that kind of go into it, man. I mean, it's like, there's terrain features that are going to change it, right? There's thermals that are going to change it. There's like, are you near water or not? You know, the thermals are going to react differently near, yep. near water and stuff like that. And then when you get there, it's like, you know, you can't look at the prevailing, like you almost have to get there and check it when you get there and then be willing to move off that spot. If the wind isn't doing what it's supposed to do, like when you actually get there. Right. And I think that's the biggest thing exactly. that people kind of mess up on. It's like, they have a plan when they walk into the timber and like I'm hunting X spot and they walk from point A to point X, I guess that doesn't make any sense, but we'll go with X because I said it first. And, and, uh, yeah, and, I'm, I'm with you. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> and, uh, and they get there and they're like, well, the wind's wrong. Well, I'm going to hunt it anyway. Or they don't check the wind. They just looked at the prevailing and said like, you know, I need a, I need a South wind. The prevailing says it's the South, but when you get there, if you actually check it, you drop some milkweed or something, all of a sudden you realize that South prevailing wind, when you get to your spot is actually a Northwest wind. You know what I mean? It's like, and it takes like some time and like, there's no magic elixir. I mean, like the dudes that, you know, I'm sure that both of us have talked to, it's like, you know, unless you've hunted that spot multiple times and you've hunted it on multiple winds and you've like almost wind mapped it, like you don't know until you get there and you just got to be mobile enough to be willing to say, this isn't the right spot today. I got to move, you know? And so then you're down exactly. pounding, pounding, the, you know, pounding the ground again and get to like whatever your next best spot is or whatever, wherever the sign's going to lead you. Um, but that's yep. one of the things too, that I find, I don't know, man, like what, what's your thoughts on this? Like for me, whenever I get an opportunity to kind of help someone like that, you know, um, I just find it really, well, for one, it's really humbling, um, that someone would ask me to help them, you know, or give them advice or whatever. Um, it definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Cause I'm just a dude that runs a podcast, man. I'm just an eight up white tail nerd, like everybody else, you know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> yeah. you know, and the fact that someone would, you know, want to ask me advice or whatever, it's just, it, it's really humbling. And, you know, it, it's, um, and I'm always nervous. Cause I'm like, I don't want to tell them the wrong thing. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like I try to give them my yeah. best, my best, my best answer, but you know, what are your feelings about it? Like, do you, you know, it's, do you kind of feel the same way to where you're kind of, you know, a little bit humbled at the fact that someone wants your advice? Yeah, I am for sure. It's one of those things where you're like, damn, dude, you really want me to like show you the ropes? Like, uh, yeah, of course, you know, of course I will. That right. type of thing. It is, it's flattering. It's humbling. And it also makes me feel really good that someone thinks that I'm worthy enough of like yeah. giving them advice on a piece that they want to hunt. But I think it's cool because one of my buddies, I helped him learn how to bow hunt and I kind of like took it upon myself. Like I felt like his guide, you know? Right. So I felt like a pressure to like, I want to get him in front of deer and have him be successful. And I feel really good. He's batted a hundred percent the last three years on damn good bow bucks. Nice. And I'm not saying it's all because of me. I, I think, he's right place, right time. And, mm-hmm. but we also like work together. Like, Hey, th- let's hunt this spot on this wind. We think this will be good. But then also too, you know, I've always said, I'm not the, I'm not afraid to be the guy that says guess and check sometimes doesn't hurt. You can learn a lot from that. It's like, well, that wind's not perfect, but I think it might be able to pull off. I'm like, I'd try it. Yeah. What do you got? To, I mean, what do you got to lose? You don't see nothing. And we, we let it rest for a little bit or we, we just draw a new up, up a new game plan. Like kind of just roll with the punches here. And a lot of times that's when you kill them and you learn a lot about that spot for the following year, you know? Um, but I like it, man. I think it's fun. These guys have killed, they've killed some good, like one thirty bucks and one twenty bucks. But I I told Mr. I'm like, my goal is to get you guys for letting me have access to one of these properties with you guys. My goal 
is to get you guys on your biggest deer that you've ever you've ever got a chance to shoot. Nice. So if I could get them both 140, 150 bucks this year, I know they would be thrilled and I would be just as thrilled as if I was killing it myself. So that's one of my goals for the season is get these guys on good deer. Well, hell dude, I'm going to come out with you and you can, you can put me on one too. We'll just make it, we'll just make it. (laughs) (laughs) We can figure it out. Figure it out. Right. Yeah, man. I I kind of feel the same way, man. It's, it's, it's just really cool to be able to help people kind of, uh, you know, along their journey. I think one of the biggest things is too, and I, I do this all the time, is there's a couple things from being able to talk to some guys that are just like who I consider to be killers, you know what I mean? That are just dudes that just get it done consistently, whether it's in high pressured areas or whatever, the, whatever the case is, you know, you know, like I've mentioned Greg Litzinger a couple of times, like that dude, you know, hunts yeah. the high pressure state of Jersey, all public and is always every year on, on like big deer for the area. You know what I mean? Um, yeah. And it's and funny he, you bring him up because we had him on the podcast a few years ago and I was at, when I'm at work, I kind of zone out and think about like the podcast, like shit we've done or shit I want to do. Yeah. And I was thinking about that dude today, how I was like, who do I consider to be one of the, like the dude that stands out to me on the East coast that's killing deer. And that I was thinking about him. Like it's, yeah. it's kind of ironic that you brought him up. Yeah. I mean, he's been, you know, I'm, look, I, I'm, I'm really honest about, you know, guys that have had a big influence on me and that have helped me in just a bunch of different ways. And he's been kind of like my quote unquote, you know, archery sensei, if you will. Like he's a, he's an excellent archer just from a com- competition standpoint. Um, and so yeah. I had a little bit of target. And he's panic. got the look too, man. He's got the look. Yeah, dude. He's got the flat bill, man. All tatted up. You know, it's like <laughs> the, uh, he, uh, I was struggling with a little bit of target panic a couple years ago. I don't, he kind of broke me of calling it target panic, but I was, I was struggling with my shot. Essentially. I wasn't controlling my shot and he's really good. And we, you know, kind of started a conversation just through, I had him on the podcast. We live close together. You know, we grew up similar like you and I did like grew up hunting, but into like hardcore and rock and roll, you know what I mean? So, um, we kind of, we kind of hit it off and I was, you know, talking to him about needing some help with my shot or whatever. And so we started going to the archery range together and shooting and he would chat, you know, give me some pointers and so forth. And then I went and moved from like a, you know, a wrist release to move into a back tension release and stuff like that. And he helped me kind of make that transition. And then, you know, we just, he's like one of my best friends now. And so this year we've never actually scouted together. So this winter we actually went and scouted together and to go and work and just watch how he tears a piece of property apart or a piece of public apart was really cool for me to see. Cause you know, I've scouted with some of my good, my good buddies but he's kind of one of those dudes who like, he just knows how to find, find the spots, man. You know what I mean? And I just wanted to watch and yeah, see, yeah. especially like around swamp ground, which is new for me because, you know, I grew up in more central and Western PA where it's more, you know, probably has more akin, akin to what you would run into in Ohio, you know, with some like hilly country and, um, you know, river bottoms and, you know, big streams yeah, and yeah. stuff like that. Um, and, and, I'm, and now I'm in Eastern PA, which is all flat for the most part, a little bit of, terrain change or you know topo change here and there but for the most part it's flat in a lot of swamps and so it's like i never hunted swamps before so the first couple years i was really struggling and so to spend some time with him this year about you know and kind of see how he tears stuff apart was really cool and really helpful and i hung some really cameras in some really good strategic places this year that i'm actually getting some good inventory on already and it was just like spending a day with him so it's like and what i'm getting at is like it's you got to not be afraid to ask questions no matter how long you've been doing this like you got to find and seek out the guys who are like the next level and and ask them questions and figure out how they how they do things and 
why they did that or how did they play this wind or how did they know this buck was going to bed there or whatever the case is like, do you still take that, you know, similar approach where it's like, you still are asking a lot of questions? Yeah, I actually, uh, one of my buddies I really look up to is, uh, Austin Chandler. Um, he's been on the podcast a lot and he's one of those guys I consider to be a killer. Like he's very thought out, you know, if he has a deer on his mind or he's get, think he's getting one pattern, like that deer's in trouble. Like the, it's days are numbered. Um, I'll just use him as an example. Like when I talk to him about certain things, um, on property or like terrain, um, entry and exit routes to a stand or whatever, name it, any topic I'll ask him, I will completely ask him from a standpoint. Like, I don't know shit. Yeah. <laughs> like I will d- delete everything off my plate and I will ask him questions just to see how he'll basically respond. And I have a, a circle of buddies this way, but I'm just using Austin as mm-hmm. the example because he's one of the top ones. I will talk to him like I don't know anything about it. Yep. You know, like I will just straight interview him because I might be like, oh shit, I've been doing this and that's wrong. Or I think maybe I could do this better by his response. Like, it, I just think as soon as you think you know it, and you're like, I know whitetails. I got this down. Like you just definitely don't like you, you just fuck yourself for lack yeah. of a better term by, by having that mindset because yeah. sorry about that. But it's, no. I think having the, the, the uh, two confidence or a cocky mindset in the whitetail game or the hunting game in general, because nothing's guaranteed you're limiting yourself. Like you always have to be open to learn something new because every animal is different. All properties are different. It, it's all situational. Mm-hmm nothing is across the board and I'll be honest every season I don't have the feeling that like I'm going to kill that buck like in my head I want to have that feeling I want to be confident but I'm always like I got to figure it out before I get my confidence mm-hmm. you know what I mean yeah yeah um it's preparation I'm doubting myself preparation preparation yeah. for sure but not that I'm doubting myself it's just I don't know until I get into a little more right right now that totally that totally makes sense man it's it's you know, I'm, I'm similar in the way that I don't, um, I have confidence, but I'm not cocky. Right. I kind of go into it going That's like, great. I've, I've done my work, you know, and I feel like if I play things correctly, I'll get an opportunity, you know, cause you know, For sure, yeah. there, there's a lot of things that can go wrong. Like my hunt in Iowa was a perfect example last year. It's like, you know, I played things correctly and I just, I screwed the pooch on a really good deer. And, and missed him. Actually, I saw him four different, I saw him a total of four times and I missed him twice. Um, and yeah, it was, it was, it was, I mean, I ended up killing one on the last hour and a half of the last day of the hunt. I was there 15 days and I killed one at three 30 on the 15th day. So it was Damn, like, man. nothing like pushing it to the end. Right. <laughs> but man, you, uh, you should have reached out. I don't know. I'm not going to ask you to tell where you were at in Iowa, but we'll talk after. Yeah. Yeah. But man, you should have reached out. I wonder if you were close to us. I, I was down near Utah is where I was at. So I wasn't probably wasn't too far away. I have no idea where that is. Yeah. Well, we'll, we'll talk after I'll give you, I'll give you the deeds, but okay. <laughs> anyway, the, uh, um, like I, I felt like I was in the game the whole time cause I was seeing deer and I knew I just needed an opportunity, you know what I mean? Like, and that was a thing and like the opportunity yeah. came and I missed it, but I just kept pushing, kept grinding, kept grinding, kept grinding. And it wasn't like I thought it wasn't like I'm going to walk in and kill a deer today, but I knew that I was doing the work. I was following the sign. I was doing all the things that I needed to do. And I was playing things correctly. I was work. I was playing the wind the correct way. I was playing you know, the thermals the correct way. And if there was a, if there was a deer that was going to come through, I knew I would get an opportunity at it. And that was kind of right. like, and so I think you're hundred percent right, man. It's like, I don't count my chickens before they're hatched. 
but I do my preparation. I do my scouting. You know, the way I typically, you know, hunt is, you know, probably, you know, I don't know. It's probably more akin to like a, you know, Enfall or Eberhard or those guys where it's like, it's very like fluid. Like I'll walk into a place. If it's not right, I move to the next place. If the sign isn't good there, I'll go and I just follow sign. And I, I yeah. end up setting up in a place I never thought I would set up in, you know, and that's kind of the, it's the way I like right, to hunt because right. I don't like to sit for long periods of time. So it's like, I might go in in the morning and sit till 1030. If I don't see the movement, I think I'm supposed to see. It's like, I'll get down and move and just try to yeah. find another spot. I'm kind of the same way. Yeah. I'm, I do less. Uh, I don't know. I do less almost. I mean, people are going to cringe. When I say this. I do, I do enough summer scouting, but I don't do probably anywhere near what the average dude does for summer scouting. I'm more yep. of like, okay, this is what it's looking like. I'm going to put my cameras up because I can't run supplemental feed or anything in Illinois at yep. all. Yep. So I do all my fringe cameras in the summer. I don't go into the timber at all. And then I basically start figuring it out once season opens. And that's when I start like applying like the throttle. And, you know, when I see sign that makes me apply the throttle and I can run it wide open, I run it wide open and I'm trying to get on one. But when it comes to like summer scouting and jacking around and all that, like that type of preparation, I do a little bit, but you won't see me overdoing it, tromping around, like just, just to do it, to, take pictures for social media. I, right. <laughs> I kind of leave my deer alone in the, in the warm, warm month. Yeah. Now I'm, I'm, I'm very similar to that to where it's like, I like to get out in the winter when the weather's cold still, you know, cause I can cover more ground then, you know, and you know, I just did a series with, you know, with, with Dan on this on like map reading and speed scouting and stuff like that, where that's kind of what I do is I look at the map and, you know, like 90, percent of what I hunt is, is public here in, in, in PA only because our family properties are several hours away. And so it's like, I'm basically looking at a map going, here are the five spots on this 2000 acre piece that are actually even worth going to look at because the rest of it's way too easy yeah. to access, you know? And so I'll go in and I'm yep. basically looking for edges and di- changing terrain or changing topography or changing habitat. And I'm finding those edges and, and those kind of topo features and I'm going and checking and speed scouting those. And if it has good sign, I mark yeah. it and I might come back and hang a camera. If it doesn't, I'm off and I'm on to the next piece. And similar to you, it's yeah. like this time of year, it's I'm done other than hanging some cameras, you know, around, you know, Memorial day and letting them soak. And if, if it's all new pieces for me, I'll let them soak a month and then go in and check them to make sure I have them set in the right place that I'm not missing deer or something like that. And then if I know yeah. that I have deer on camera, then I let them, you know, and then I, I don't go back in until the season's ready to roll. And then I just kind of similar to you. It's like, if the sign tells me to, to floor it, I do. And if I bump deer, I bump deer, I'll go find another deer somewhere else. And that's just kind of how I play it. Right. I mean, I don't think there's anything wrong with, you got to mess up mm-hmm. before you know what you need to do. You know, it's just, you got to dial in, you yeah. know, it's you're, you're figuring things out, you're honing in and then, you know, that's all you can do. And I think people like to look at hunting as too much of a, this is the way, this is the only way deer do this. And this is what deer do only. And I think that's a wrong mindset. Mm -hmm. And I I think it's more of a new hunter mindset or someone that like wants to dive into the bigger buck mindset, more than mature buck mindset is they want to just say like big buck only do this or, you know, it's a, you got to be malleable. You got to be ready to like change things up. Nothing, nothing's the final word. And I think that mindset of thinking, well, big bucks will only take that trail or big bucks will only move through here or whatever. I think that you're going to limit yourself with that mindset. And I think a lot of people probably have a mindset similar to that. but don't realize that's limiting them. Um, you gotta just, 
I like to just set up in random ass spots sometimes just to see. Mm-hmm. If not, if you can sit sit up in a random spot and see a long way, you, you might learn a ton more than going straight back into the deep timber right out the gate. Yep. So I always like to start from the outside and work my way in, right. um, especially on a new piece. Right. Yeah. No, I, I hear that, man. It's like I think I think you're right though, where people, you know, at times will play it, you know, like they think the like a deer does X, Y, and Z always, right? Because you'll often hear people like, especially we were just talking about wind, right? And I think the more time you get an opportunity to spend to watch mature deer or mature, more mature deer for wherever you live, right? Because a mature deer in Iowa is much different than a mature deer in PA, just by the nature of most of our deer around here. If you find a three and a half year old on on a piece of public around here, like that's about as mature as you're going to get, you know what I mean? And so, yeah, you know, but in Iowa, it's like, yeah, you can find a six, seven year old deer and the mature deer out there act differently than they, you know, than they do, you know, back here just because their experiences are a little different. But if you get an opportunity to watch mature deer for whatever area you're in or the more mature deer, you'll learn a lot about how they kind of move and how they use things. Right. And that was one of the more eye opening yeah. things for me whenever I was in Iowa, because like I was saying, like the maturity level here isn't quite, isn't quite the same. So whenever I was out there, it's like, it was like, I've told buddies, I was like, it was like a master's class in hunting what mature whitetails. Cause I was getting to watch deer that had some, you know, more age on them and watched how they were working terrain features, watched how they were working the wind and stuff like that. Right. Cause everyone will say, look, well, the deer's got to have the wind. Well, to a degree, right. And you talk to Litzinger and it's like in some of the places he's hunts and he's like, man, I've watched so many mature bucks tailwind out of areas, you know, like a hundred percent, like yeah. following a tailwind, like in specific areas, you know, and his rationale was, man, if they're getting pressured and they're getting moved, he's like, and, and if, especially when you're in like hill country and you're in like a, on a bench system where the, the wind's going to be swirling and stuff like that, it's like the wind's never going to be consistent for them. So if they're skittish just based on the fact that the wind isn't in their face all the time, like they would never move. You know, he's like, they got yeah, to, point. Point, they got to some point move with the wind, you know, to their back or, or not in their face a hundred percent or not even having the wind at all. It's like, but they'll strategically move in spots where they minimize their risk in those, in those instances. Right. And so, right. And it, his probably his game plan is to get to those spots where the buck can let his guard down a little bit to not be so concerned right. about a swirling wind, I guess is the game plan there. Like, right. um, I like that. That's interesting as hell. Yeah. The buck I shot last year that I called creepy. I, what I learned from him is that he almost never moved without the wind in his face. But the day I shot him, he walked with the wind to his back for a hundred yards before he changed to have it back into his face. And that's where I killed him nice. right before he was going to get that wind again. Yeah. Um, but that is interesting as hell. Yeah. I like that breakdown a lot. Yeah. I mean, it's just, and that, for me, it was like, that was, you know, pretty eye opening for me. It was like to think of it that way. And I've heard other guys, you know, talk about that, but I, I had never seen it until uh, probably two years ago. I was watching this deer that was just, you know, had more mature for PA and he was coming in on a wind that I didn't, I didn't think a buck would necessarily use, right? I was mainly trying to go out to fill a doe tag and he ended up coming, coming through uh, with the wind to his back. And I was just like, I didn't get a shot opportunity. But I was just like, huh, I haven't seen that before. I was like, that's interesting. And then you have to ask the question why, right? It's like, the, that's the important piece is, you know, don't just take something for face value. And going back to what we were saying, where it's like those guys that we know that are killer hunters, you know, or, or just straight killers. There's a couple of traits that I've kind of picked up that they, that they have is one, super detail oriented, right? There's nothing that happens that they don't question that They don't eventually like start to try to pull apart and figure out why. Right. And yeah. the other part is 
is I don't know how many times I've watched this, like no matter who it was that I was talking to, that was, you know, someone who gets it done regularly and is a killer where when you're asking them a question and then they like, you'll often see, they ask you a question and like, you're always kind of surprised. Like, well, why is this guy asking me a question? Like, what the hell am I going to tell him (laughs) that he doesn't know? Right. But they're so looking for like that one little kernel that could be the thing they've not thought of before. You know what I mean? Or the thing that they've overlooked or the thing that they've known, but it's, it seems like such a, amateur tactic or amateur thought that they've maybe not thought of it in a while and you bring it up and they're like, Oh no shit. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You know? And like, that's the one thing I've noticed with those guys is like, they're always picking up like the smallest little things from, from other people. 100%. I, I lost you for a second, but I, I, I caught enough of that to where I, I think I knew what was going on. Okay. That had to have been your end. Cause I got, we're on, I'm on cell service. So sorry about that. That's all right. But, that's all right. But yeah, like, Going back to, I think I heard everything there. Like guys that do that, ask the questions back. I find myself doing that and I'm trying to do it more. Like if someone asks me about a certain detail on a buck, like, well, where'd he come from? How do you act? Where'd he go? What did he do? Like, I want to, I want to know over, I want to know what they're probably thinking is this guy wants to know too much, Mm -hmm. but I will notice what if I asked Austin Chandler using him as an example again, um, like I think I bounced creepy the buck I was after last year just situational things off him and well, what do you, where'd he come from? How, you know, and he's like breaking it. He's having me break it down to him so he can wrap his head around the situation. Mm-hmm. Sorry if that was repetitive. No, no, that's a, that's a hundred percent what we, what I was kind of alluding to is like, they're, they're looking to gain that little nugget, little kernel from you that they might be able to use somewhere. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like, and I'm sitting there thinking like, what do I have to offer you? You know, like you got, you got walls full of like giants. Right. And it's like, but you know, there's like a little, you know, I was talking to, I don't remember, was it, it might've been Andy May whenever I had him on the podcast, we were talking and I found like these mountaintop swamps that I kind of started diving into on some pretty heavily pressured PA public spots and stuff like that. But there's these big clear cuts and they're so thick, you can't really get into them. But I went, you know, out in February where there wasn't anything on the trees. And like, if you follow, if you can find a little water ingress somewhere, you can usually follow that water channel. And then eventually that water, it'll get wet enough to where it's, it's not swampy to where it can't be hunted or deer can't live, but it's just swampy enough to where it kills the trees. And it's just like swamp grass in there. And then it opens up. And like, I found these spots that were just like littered with deer trails, rubs, scrapes that were just like hammer sign. And so I started kind of referring to them as mountaintop swamps. And I was like, and I follow the water ingress into these places. And that's been like the places where I actually started finding buck beds and some of this like pressured, you know, pressured public. And he was like, no shit. He's like, that's a, that's, that's, he's like, that's an interesting twist on a, on, on a, on a tactic. He's like, I like that. You know, it's like, and here's a dude is just like, I mean, you want to talk about guys that's got the golden touch. I mean, that guy kills everything anywhere he goes, you know what I mean? And it was just, <laughs> that would feel good then to kind of give him a little insight. He's like, Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Cause he was like, Oh, that's interesting. He's like, that's a nice like twist on how to, how to, you know, tear that piece apart. You know, he's like, that's a good, that's a good thought, yeah. you know? And so it's like doing stuff like that. You're like, mic drop, I'm done. Uh, can we just shut it down here? Like, <laughs> I don't need to talk anymore, talk anymore. Cause I'm sure right, right. anything I say from this point forward is just going to devalue the smart thing I just said. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You just shut up. You're like, all right, I'm good. I said what I need to say. I look like an expert to you. That's cool. Right. Right. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's, it's funny that you brought up like experts questioning things. I, I love blood trailing deer. And whenever one of my buddies calls me and tells me, Hey, I hit a buck. I'm giving them some time. I'm that like, I ask probably way too many questions when it comes to like behavior and movement and how it acted and all that. Um, that's just what it reminded me of how me, if you called me, Hey, Kurt, I shot a buck. 
about, all right, what do you do? Where, where do you think you hit him? How do you act? Like, that's kind of how I am when it comes to blood trailing. Yeah. Yeah. No, I mean, those things are all, I think things that a lot of folks over, overlook, right? Cause you can, you can tell a lot like that. I think that's the thing every year I try to get better at something. Right. And so for me this year, it's, I'm trying to find more ground setups because, you know, with pressure and stuff like that, if I can find places without trees for people to climb, likely there's less human pressure and deer will spend time in those areas. And I've passed up way too many spots that were good just because I couldn't get into a tree. So I'm adding more Very ground smart. hunting. Yeah. Adding more ground hunting to my repertoire. Um, and so, you know, one of the other things that I really wanted to try to focus on this year was, was, you know, was not just that, but like paying more attention to deer behavior. Cause that was probably the biggest learning, you know, opportunity I had when I was in Iowa, um, because n- not as much pressure. So I was getting to watch deer just be deer often, right. To where they weren't, um, they weren't on high alert. They weren't, you know, uh, super skittish. They were, you know, they were kind of laid back and they were just kind of going about the normal business. So I could start to tell like if a deer was acting, was he aggressive? Was he not aggressive? Was he on alert? Was he not on alert? You know, so I could start to kind of pick some of that stuff up, which was really kind of cool to, to see, to start to be able to fine tune and understand deer behavior a little bit more. Um, which I think is just, you know, ultimately super helpful whenever you're, when you were trying to, you know, hunt mature deer. Oh yeah. Did I, did I lose you there or still have you? Still there? See again right off the gate. <laughs> After saying oh, that, hold on, hold on. I think I, I think I lost you again. Hold on, are you, are you there now? Yeah, I'm here. It's uh, it's cutting in and out. I don't know what's going on. It's it's got to be. I don't know if it's. I'm not on Wi-Fi, so it's got to be. And I have service, so it's. I don't. I don't know if it's Skype or what on your end, but yeah, I don't know. It's weird, but uh, we'll keep powering through, man. You good for a couple more <laughs> for a couple more minutes? Oh, dude, I'm good for as long as you want to have me on the podcast, man. I'm I'm in for the long haul when I record. <laughs> awesome. Awesome. I'm, Love it. I'm ready to uh, ride all the time. Three-hour nice. podcasts are nothing but a thing. Right. <laughs> ride or die. Ride or die. Um, That's right. All right. Well, let's, let's transition, man. I think we covered a lot of whitetail stuff there. I think... What, the it. one thing I love it. Uh, one one thing I want to talk about, you know, we'll make since we're having tech difficulties, we'll just make a hard transition here. I want to talk about your your bear hunt, man, because that is like hunting out west is one of those things where, um, I mean, once you do it, it just kind of gets in your blood, and like you just you think almost every day about doing it again. And uh, bear hunting is something I had an opportunity to do once, like a specific bear hunt. I went to Alaska and hunted, and that was some years ago, and it was oh, awesome. Nice. Yeah. And, uh, and you know, I've wanted to do it again. Like only my bucket list item is doing a, um, a grizzly bear hunt on Kodiak Island with a bow. Like that's my bucket list hunt. Yeah. If I could do any hunt and someone said, whatever you want to do, no amount of money matters. What hunt do you want to do? Kodiak Island grizzly bear. That's what I want. Or I guess they're not grizzly. I guess they're, they're brown bears at that point in one Kodiak, but that would be my hunt. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I figured like, if I'm going to hunt something like, let's just do it to where it's hunting me too. Let's just make it a game, a game of it (laughs) and see what happens. (laughs) But you were, if I'm not mistaken, you were in Wyoming this spring on, on a bear hunt. Right. So talk to me a little bit about that, man. How'd that come about? Yeah. So I was in Western Wyoming, uh, just outside of Alpine, uh, Alpine, Wyoming. And honestly, um, a bear hunt was something I've always thought about. Um, I'd say it was on like my to do in the next five years type hunt. 
Um, and I think for a lot of dudes in the Midwest, and I don't know, I know there's bears in Pennsylvania and, and some of the Eastern States. So you guys are kind of like in the mix there, but mm-hmm. being in the Midwest, it's typically it's like the first animal you shoot or go on a trip to shoot besides like a white tail uh, right. for most people's cases, whatever it wasn't in my case, but I, I, all my buddies that shot all my, some of my more experienced hunting buddies that all shot black bears, um, more Canadian hunts. And my really good buddy, Clint Casper has gone out West of Montana for some like Western spot and stock bears with, um, one of his good buddies, Brian Barney from Eastman's elevated podcast. He's a really good mm-hmm. dude. Um, but I'm driving to work one morning and Clint calls me whenever Clint calls me, I'm just, I'm ready for like an intense phone call. Cause that's how it always is. He's a high energy <laughs> individual. And he's like, Kurt, we're going bear hunting. I'm like, we are. He goes, yep. In a month, we're going to Wyoming. Devin is inviting us out. We're rocking out to double diamond outfitters. We're going to go out there and we're going to have a damn good time. I'm like, all right, give me the info. I'm down. So luckily I had vacation time. Right. So <laughs> right. basically planned it out. I'm like, all right, I can swing this. Let's go for it. Um, and then it basically forced me to be like, all right, this bear hunt's happening sooner than I thought. I started doing some research on bear hunting and kind of like trying to educate myself on judging bears and all that. And especially mm-hmm. like Western bears, because I was always told that Canadian bear hunting and like Western bear hunting is way different. Um, so we went out, basically set up. It was all like a wall tent camp um, in the mountains of Wyoming, horseback into your stand. And it was a bait hunt. Um, and basically it was, it was pretty much an adventure hunt. And the cool thing about it was there's a higher opportunity to shoot color-faced bears out West than there is in Canada. Um, I know there's a chance, and, and I don't know a ton about bears. So um, if I sound ignorant as hell, it's because I gen- genuinely don't know. Um, right. So I was excited about that because, you know, of course, like I'll shoot any bear. as cool to a dude who's never been bear hunting, but I'm right. like, man, if I could kill a color-faced bear, that'd be even more incredible. Um, so we were going to fly. So basically what happened was, um, I called my buddy, Austin Chandler, who I was talking about earlier. And I'm like, Hey man, there's a couple slots left on these bear hunts. They're at a discounted rate because of COVID and all the shit got canceled. And he's trying to just book these hunts kind of last minute, you know, it was a month, a month in advance. Right. And I call him up. I'm like, you want to go to Wyoming, man? Like we can book flights and we can go. He's like, let me talk to the wife. Call you back. Calls me back. He's like, all right, I'm in. <laughs> well, then we announced on the podcast, we're like, hey, we have a couple slots available if anyone wants to come bear hunting in Wyoming with us. And we booked, like, within 24 hours, we had two listeners book bear hunts with us, and we had one pending and a bunch of people calling, kind of like get information. Right. Well, Austin calls, he's like, we need to call Ross, our other buddy, and tell him that he's going on this hunt. And Ross just got out of a cast. He broke his arm, had surgery and stuff. And I call Ross, and I'm like, hey, me and Austin think you need to come on this bear hunt with us. It'd be a hell of a time. It, this is the cost. It's last minute. I know it was a discounted raid and all this. Like, well, that's a pretty damn good deal. Let me call the wife. I'm like, all right, you got like 10 minutes to decide because there's <laughs> listeners asking the information and they're going to want to book this hunt. Okay. I'll call you back. He calls me back. and He's like, all right, I got to buy the wife a new furniture set when I get back, but she gave me the okay to go. <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> so I'm like, cool. I'll book the flights right now. Book the flights. Well, like a week before I get a notification through Expedia that says your flight is canceled because of COVID restriction, blah, 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 oh, through Chicago, you know? Right. And I call the boys. I'm like, hey, they're like, dude, screw this. Let's drive. 
we'll get our flight credit back, whatever. So we took the podcast trailer. We have a whole wrap like podcast. Trailer. I'm like, cool. Mobile advertisement from Illinois to Wyoming on a 19 hour <laughs> drive. Right. So Clint Casper drives to my house. He's got like a nine hour drive. We all load up, take Ross's max in this podcast trailer from Illinois and then drive 19 hours, 19 more hours for Clint on top of his nine. Get there, set up. We're in the wolf tent. And anyway, I'm kind of dragging this out. I just wanted to give like how we planned it. No, I this. love it. I love it, man. It's <laughs> this, like, I, I love how it's just like a ride or die situation where it's like, boys, we're going to Wyoming. Like, <laughs> that's exactly how it was. Exactly how it was. So we get <laughs> in the camp, and I'm kind of like, I'm nervous because I don't know what to expect. I've never hunted Wyoming. I've never hunted bears, and it's a horseback hunt. I've been on a horse and since I was like eight years old when I was in Wisconsin Dells doing like an <laughs> adventure, you know? And people think that haven't ridden a horse before are like, hey, just get on it and you ride. It's like, man, it's a whole, it's a thing, right? Riding a horse is a thing. Uh, dude, okay, I'll, I'll get into my story. I don't know how in detail you want me to go, but I can tell like my love-hate relationship with horses if you want. I would love so, to hear your love-hate relationship with horses. <laughs> <laughs> so we get there the day before and they're kind of like, hey, we're only going to hunt afternoons. Bear activity hasn't been real heavy in the mornings. So we get settled in in camp, and I get when I'm talking, it's like backcountry adventure. We're in canvas wall tents, and there's wood burning stoves in each tent. And they have like a really cool camp set up with like a stream running through camp. Absolutely beautiful, just that in the mountains. It was incredible, man. It was like out of a movie or some right. just crazy western storybook. And I'm trying to just take it in and just enjoying it. And the cool thing about it was everyone in camp was so awesome. Um, a bunch of boys from Utah that I've made lifelong friends with, you know what I mean? You kind of just feel that yeah. bond right out the gate and mm-hmm. it's just a beautiful thing, man. Like it's something to just think back on and I'm really appreciative for the, for the opportunity. So the next day, the next afternoon, I'm talking with Devin, uh, one of the guys, uh, which we just did a podcast, with Devin called the, the cemetery buck. He killed a giant, like 230 inch mule deer in Utah. It's an awesome podcast. Nice. Um, recorded in that camp actually. So he takes me out. He's like, all right, I'll take you into the spot. And he goes, get on this horse. This horse has a little more experience, and he's on a mule. So we're riding into the, going into the bait, and we take off, and he's on this mule leading. Well, the horse I was on normally leads, so he was, like, pissed off, I guess, because he wasn't in the lead, and they had this mule in front of him. So we get up to this, like, rushing creek, I guess. It wasn't really a river. It was probably eight, nine foot wide. Mm -hmm. And his mule, and I've been on this horse for maybe five minutes. And I'm like, still, and I'm like a BMX kid. Like I can get the hang of it eventually, you know, like I, I have balance and whatever. Right. His mule jumps this Creek full blast, like takes off running, jumps the Creek to get over it. And then like settles back down. He's like, don't worry. Your horse won't do that. It knows better. Like it'll just walk through it. My horse sees this mule do this and runs up to the river and jumps it. And <laughs> I've been on this thing five minutes, not a fan of horses from the get. And I'm like, freaked out (laughs) (laughs) hadn't had time to get comfortable and i'm like oh my gosh what have i got myself into and he's devin's laughing his ass off he's like dude i'm sorry i didn't think that would happen (laughs) (laughs) you think (laughs) i'm like oh my gosh man what have i got into i'm like kind of shook up you know right Right. yeah because they're big they're big animals, man. It's like like people don't realize like yeah, they're docile creatures to a degree, man. But like when you get on when it decides it wants to do what it wants to do, there's nothing you're gonna do to stop it. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's like oh yeah, I felt so out of control, and that's where my comfort thing was. And I I, I expected these horses to be like 
really well ridden and they are normally, but we were the first camp of the year, you know, oh, like if yeah. you book an elk hunt through with these guys, they've been ridden all year, all summer. Those horses are just like, they know the drill. So right. we're kind of like breaking these horses back in for the, for the season. <laughs> and, uh, it, it was, it was, I'm glad it happened to me, honestly. It, like it, it makes a good story. Good. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of sets the tone for the trip. It's like, okay, this is like, well, I think the biggest thing, you know, not to interrupt, but I think the biggest thing like no, you do out West, you know, is you get out there and, um, you need to have an experience early where it snaps you into reality and says, yo, like shit <laughs> yeah. dies out here. You know what I mean? Like, yep. like things can get real, real quick and it could be the smallest of things. You know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. I, I know when I was on my elk hunt, there was a day that it snowed the one night or the one morning, I guess the, actually the whole day. So, cause we missed that day of hunting cause it was almost like blizzard like conditions. We went out the next day to hunt and there was like, you know, I don't know. It was like, mid shin high snow and i think we did like 15 miles that day and i got so Damn. tired like i just laid down in the snow and like dug a hole to get out of the wind because i was just i mean i was probably seven and a half miles in and i had a seven and a half mile hike out and i was watching these, these wolves chase these these mule deer on this other um on this other uh, mountain that was like across the valley and i contemplated going over to try to intercept but i was like man there's no way i'm gonna make it over there in time and i'm sitting there and I was just so tired. I just wanted to take a nap. So I actually fell asleep for like maybe like 30 minutes and took a nap. And I woke up and I was like, man, this is how people die out here. Like <laughs> you yeah. walk so far and you get so tired and you take a nap and you just never wake back up. And I was like, man, you got to get your ass up and move, you know? And so I got up and like started like making my hike, you know, hunting my way back, but hunting my way back to the trailhead or whatever. But yeah, I mean, it's like, it was that moment where I was like, okay, this is like a real like situation. If I'm not careful and I'm not, you know, on my yep. shit, like I could get seriously hurt out here. You know, so the term I picked up out there was it can get Western real quick. Oh yeah, for sure. You for know, sure. it's, you can, it's different. It's not like oh, I can get back to the truck within 25 minutes if I walk fast or if I jog, it's <laughs> right. Like, nah, you're miles in and everything is steep and there's things out there that can eat you. And it's yep. just different for guys that aren't used to that shit. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. like I don't have the mindset of like a, like Trey, our guide out there, Trey Heiner, awesome dude. One of the most fascinating people I've ever met. That guy is just Western as hell. You know, right. he he knows every mountain peak out there, and he just lives there. He's comfortable. For him to go out and have to stay the night in the mountains by himself and start a fire to keep warm for the night, like, that's nothing but a thing for him. Yeah. Now, I have a buddy just like that, man. This buddy, my buddy Luke, who I've gone out to Montana and hunted with, he lives in Lincoln, Montana is where he lives, and it has the highest – highest grizzly bear population density per capita in the, Ooh. in the lower 48, like literally he'll have them in his Spooky. backyard at times. And that dude will go out in the spike camp by himself for like three days and just go hunt and live for three days out in the woods and, you know, camp out there and find a good spot and, you know, go try to kill elk. You know, that's his, that's it's his fascinating. Like, yeah. I mean, I love he's a, that. Yeah. I, I mean, I love the outdoors, man, but that's like, I'd be lying if I, I mean, he would tell you like he's nervous at some, at certain points too. You know what I mean? But like, he's just, he's, he's worked for the U S forestry service. So he spent so much time in the timber out there that it's just like second yeah. nature for him. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. I find those guys so interesting. Like I like Trey was that way too. And I just wanted to talk to him and I, I, mm -hmm. I, I wanted to talk to him so bad. and just like, tell me your stories, man. Like what, what, yeah. what's the craziest thing you ever had? And like, I felt like a little kid, like starting to annoy him a little yeah. bit. Like, 
and I kind of forced him to do a podcast. He did this a quick segment on one of our shows where he tells some, oh man, it's, I won't ruin the story, but he tells a story about taking a, a, a customer that was overweight and he had to drag him off the hill on a mountain lion hunt with a snowmobile and like just <laughs> crazy stuff he's experienced. And I just want to talk to him about it. Like, Hey, and I feel like I'm being that pesty dude. That's like asking about war stories or something, you know, yeah. like, have you ever yeah. been charged by a grizzly bear? Have you ever, right. you know what I mean? Shit like that. And I, I started to feel like a little kid and was just starting to annoy him. So I kind of tried to <laughs> try yeah. to not bother him, but yeah. But anyway, I, I, people. yeah, I, I didn't mean to, I didn't mean to interrupt, but it's like when you, when you mentioned oh, that, fine. like, you know, the experience where it's like, it just snaps you into reality. It's like, I can totally, I can totally relate. So the horse gets buck wild and now we're, you know, now we're, <laughs> we're, we're trucking along. And then I'm like, oh man. And Devin's like laughing, but apologizing. And he's like, oh my God, I wish I would have been videoing that. <laughs> and, yeah. uh, so we come back up, we have two more crossings on the same Creek or river or whatever you want to call it. So yeah, of course, every time the, the horse comes up to him, I'm like, don't jump it. Don't right. jump it. And, and he didn't look, it was shallow enough. He just kind of like walked through it and I'm nervous as hell. So we get closer to the bait. My horse starts freaking out, like making horse noises. I don't know what the hell you want to call it, <laughs> but he's like, hey, he's like, switch me horses. That one wants to lead. He's throwing a fit and we're getting close to the spot. So I don't want to make a bunch of noise and scare any bears off. So we get up and there was a bunch of like ravens and crows flying over this valley. And he's like, all right, we're close enough to the bait. He goes, I'm worried because all these birds are off the bait. And I'm just wondering if there might be a bear on that bait. So let's like sneak up the hill. When I say hill, I mean mountain. mountain and right. so we sneak up and I'm breathing heavy, of course, because I'm not used to the hill. I'm not used to the elevation. I drink too much bush light. You know the <laughs> recipe. So we get up there, we get in the stand or I get in the stand. He, he takes back off of the trailhead on the horses and I'm, I, I, I'm in the stand. And by the way, the stand was high as hell and it's on a steep ass mountain. So like, if you look one way, it's probably, honestly, I'm not even exaggerating. Probably 30 to 35 foot on the short side and probably 45 to 50 foot on the other side downhill because how steep the hill is. Right. And right the bait is chained to a tree so it doesn't roll down the mountain. And I'm honestly like pretty shook up still. Like I remember like sitting in the stand, just like kind of like deep breathing, like, all right, you're You're bear hunting, man. It's your first time bear hunting. And I, and I was a little shook up because of like the horse situation. I'm tired from climbing this mountain, just kind of like the accumulation of things. Like it was like an overwhelming experience and that might sound kind of corny, but it just was for me. And right. yeah. I'm kind of yeah. like, I'm chilling in there and I can feel my, my legs are like shaking. I'm kind of quivering. I'm like, just chill out, man. Like you're up here. This is cool. So I finally right. got in my groove where I was like, you know, in my element, right. I'm in a tree stand doing what I like to do. And I'm sitting there and it didn't really get dark to about nine 30 there at night. Um, so I knew I had a little bit of a sit and they're like, Hey, about seven, seven 30. That's like prime time, you know? Mm-hmm. So I'm looking, I'm looking and I look over and I see a bear, below me working its way up the mountain towards the bait. And I'm like, Oh shit, there's a bear. The first bear I've ever seen in my life. And it was a color phase bear. Well, I've been so paranoid about shooting a small bear on my first, for my first bear, because everyone says that like every bear looks big to you. If you've never seen one or you've never hunted them, that you'll shoot a small one thinking it's a big one. Right. So this bear comes in and I'm looking at it. I'm like overstepping. And it gets up to the bay that I'm looking. I'm like, oh, man, should I shoot this thing? And I have a GoPro on at the time. 
Um, that's all I had. Mm-hmm. And I'm watching, watching, I always say her, I don't know if it's a sow or a boar or whatever. So I draw back and I'm like, ah, and I let down, I'm like, looking. I'm like, I don't know. Well then the bear gets kind of spooky and I'm not sure why and it runs up the hill a little bit and I range it and I draw back. I'm like, man, I should probably shoot this. This is a color phase of bear right in front of me. My first bear, like what if I'm accidentally passing a giant? I don't know it. Right. Well, this bear spooks up the hill and I'm like, ah, shit, let down. Well, I hear something. I look over and from the same spot, this first bear came from, I see another bear coming, big color phase coming um, right up to the same tree that the previous bear was on. And I can just see the head on this one is way broader. The body's heavier. And I'm like, if I was going to shoot that first bear, this bear to me is a no brainer at this point. This bear's coming up to the bait barrel. And I'm like, I'm not even letting this thing get to the barrel. I'm taking my opportunity here, just like a whitetail hunter would. I draw back, he stops, and I just squeeze through my release, let it loose, watch my arrow zip what I would consider a perfect shot on a bear because it's a little different than a whitetail. Yep. All on GoPro. He runs up, stands up on the hill. I range him again, put another arrow in, draw, and I can just see, like, the good stuff hanging out of the exit hole. Cause I can see the exit hole at this point, his exit side right. is facing me. I can see all the good stuff hanging out of the exit hole. And I'm like, Oh, that bear can't hold that. No, nothing can hold that. And this bear runs down the hill, like five more yards, stands up on its hind legs and goes and does like a backflip into a bunch of fall downs. And that feeling for me on my first night ever, after being scared to death of horses, <laughs> I was, overwhelmed with like the experience and I turned the GoPro on I me. Mean, I'll, I'll, I'll put this video out soon. And I'm just like, it's kind of funny to watch, like not really embarrassing. Cause I'm, it's like a cool moment, but like for other people, I don't like watch other people watch the video when I'm there. Cause I'm like, Oh man, I'm, I'm right. a dork. <laughs> but I pull out my in reach. Cause it's the only thing you have service on. And I, I texted Clint and Devin, they were waiting at the trailhead. I'm like bear down. And it was just a cool experience, man. I waited till dark yeah. before I got down. Cause the other bear came back and they came up the mountain on horses and took pictures and helped me get it out off the mountain. It, it was just incredible, man. A big, a big That's... color phase bear. I think it's probably right around that Pope and young Mark. Just incredible. Nice. Dude. Yeah. I saw the pictures, man. It's a great bear, man. Congratulations. That's a, that's a killer hunt, dude. I mean, it's, you got the full, you got the full Western experience, man. I mean, it's like when you mentioned, you know, kind of being shook in the stand, like I remember on that, that elk hunt, the first morning I went with my buddy Luke and he and I glassed and we saw a couple bulls in this valley and they went into this piece of dark timber. And so we went, he thought they were bedded in there. And so we went in there to try to find where they were bedded and see if we could set up on them. And we made, we actually got, we pushed the envelope a little too close and we actually ended up blowing both, both of those bulls out. Um, but there was a wallow down there. And so we ended up coming out of there and like went and hunted somewhere else the rest of the day. And then that night, you know, he was like, Hey, um, tomorrow I'm going to go check out this other spot. Cause he was really trying to get like me and my cousin, our other friend, like the, there was four of us total three, like my cousin, my buddy, and then, and me, and then our friend Luke who lives in Montana. And, um, He's like, hey, I'm going to go, you know, do some glass and over a couple other spots and see if I can locate some bulls and uh, see if I can't get us on something, you know, later in the afternoon or whatever. He's like, you know, tomorrow morning, he's like, when we go by, he's like, I'll drop you off where we glassed. He's like, just walk in through that valley. He's like, keep going. And we were looking at a map and he was like, there's a big wallow down there. You should run into at some point. It's like a mile and a half, like into the timber or whatever. He's like, go sit that. He's like, and then, you know, meet me back out at the trailhead, you know, and this is all BLM. Like we drove 
trucks into which it's it's all owned by ranchers and stuff and but they have they open it up for you know uh, public access hunting and like i think walk it was like on a, or walk in or whatever they call it yeah it's block management land i think is what they refer bml land i think is what it's officially called but you know it was what state we were had, you in uh montana oh nice yeah and um we uh it, so there was this two track that they used to like get their cattle because their cattle was in like these you know i call them mountains they were basically just grazing in the mountains and there was a two track that would run through there and that they would go in to try to you know pull sit cows out or take you know cows out for whatever reason or bring them back in or whatever and so in a truck to get to where we were camping you know you were on this small ass two track and it was an hour and a half to almost two hour drive into the mountain like on this small two track to get to where we were at so i mean we were like miles from yeah i mean we were so far away from anything remotely resembling like a a road that is not traveled by anybody and so we're, you know, th- we had a wall tent and that's where we were staying. And so that next morning he's like, Hey, I'm going to drop you off here. And here's this dude from Pennsylvania. It's a whitetail hunter. Never the first time I'd ever been out West. And he's like, I'm just going to drop <laughs> you off here and you can walk in there a mile and a half to this wallow and set up there. Then meet me back out at the trailhead here, um, you know, around two o'clock and we'll make a plan for the evening or whatever. And so I remember walking in and like, uh, at first I'm like, cool, this is awesome. You know, I'm like I'm doing this by myself. Like, you know, this is killer. And I got about a half mile in and I'm like, and you're a fucking idiot. Like, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm like, you know, like it's like your second day in Montana and you just decide you're going to wander off into the mountains by yourself and go hunt elk, you know what I mean? Like, That's what awesome, you, man. You know? And so I had the same kind of experience where I was like <laughs> that holy shit moment of like, you know, where you actually got, you get like a set of a bit of fear where you're like, like, this is real. Like I'm actually in the middle yeah. of nowhere. You know what I mean? Like it's good for you. I think man, to have that, like that, reality of like you're you're not the you're not the biggest thing out here you're not the toughest thing out here like something can get you if it wants you're gonna get you could get lost (laughs) it's kind of good for you yeah it is i mean you feel so small it's it's but that like after that hunt it was like i was like okay game on like you just got to be smart you know what i mean like you gotta pay attention to what you're where you're going you know what i mean you gotta look at your maps you know you gotta Make sure you're not twisting an ankle or something stupid like that. Watch yeah. where you're putting your feet. You know, it's like don't you just take any be dumb care. risks. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't take any don't take any dumb risks. Make sure when you go somewhere, like your buddies know where you're going. You know what I mean, like where you're supposed to be and stuff like that. Yep. And I was the same way, man. I used an in reach while I was out there, and it was awesome because I could still like text somebody if I had to oh, emergency text or whatever. Yeah, man. When I go on travel hunts now, especially like if I'm by myself, like even when I was in Iowa, it's like John was hunting a little ways away, like 40 minutes away or whatever, you know, but I was by myself on that trip, you know, for, you know, for all intents and purposes. And, um, so I, ca- I carried it with me just because some places I would get it into that I didn't need, that it have cell service or whatever. And I was like, if something happens, like I break a leg or I happen to slip while I'm climbing up my sticks or something like that and can't get out or whatever, I need a way to be able to make sure I can get a hold of somebody, you know? And then well, the cool yeah. thing about those is like when you text, it's like, it drops a GPS pin from where you text as well. So like yep. someone would know I was just going to say that. that that's the cool thing about it. I, I actually I remember sitting in the stand and I texted my dad and said, Hey, bear down. And I, you know, you have the option to like send the location or not. Yeah. And I sent the location just cause I thought it would be kind of like a neat thing for my dad to be like, Oh, that's where he's at. That's where he shot his bear, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah. But I mean, I love like there's a little bit of that, like, 
I don't know, like maybe I'm a sadist a little bit in this regard, but it's like that little bit of scared feeling, you know, where it almost makes (laughs) you feel like you got to poop a little bit, you know what I mean? Like that, like that's when I know I'm having a good time when that happens, you know? Yeah, no, Hey, I'm with you. I think, you know, it would probably do the world a lot of good if everybody in the world experienced a little bit of that shit every now and again, you know, we might not have some of the (laughs) situations we're in right now. Um, not necessarily as far as like COVID or whatever, but some of the other stuff, it might humble some people a little bit not to do certain things. Um, yeah. Well, exactly. Because you aren't the, you aren't the center of the universe. You know what I mean? That's exactly. The, that's the value in, in like those moments is like you quickly realize that, man, you are, you are a speck <laughs> like, and that's being generous. Yeah, exactly. You know? Well, I had that feeling a little bit too. And I know they're black bears. They're not grizzlies. So they're not known to be as aggressive, but from a mid for a Midwestern guy, it's a bear. You know, I yes. shot my bear and I, and I was confident he was done, but then that other bear came back and ate on that bait till dark and I didn't get down until I could hear those guys at the base of the mountain because then the bear finally left. And I was like, all right, I'll start getting down. But I'm like, man, if I jump down now and I go to track what could be what I think is a dead bear, but could be a potentially wounded bear. Right. And there's another bear right there. You know what I mean? Like, it's, yeah, it, it, it's, I don't know. I think it's important to have those experiences. And no, I'm I, also thankful because it's experiences that not normal people don't get to have those types of of experiences or adventure. Yeah. Well, a lot of people go their entire life and mitigate that, you know, cause there's always inherent risk involved in that stuff, right? Like you can't, like there's nothing sure. that's risk-free, right? You know, and, and you gotta be willing to accept some risk to have some of those experiences. And there are some folks who just aren't willing to accept those risks. You know what I mean? It's like, you know, Very true. you know, doing anything like whether it's riding BMX, you know, skateboarding, snowboarding, whatever the case is. I mean, there's inherent risk in, in performing those sports, just like there is whenever you're doing like more extreme, you know, Western hunts, you know, that, that where the, the megafauna that you're dealing with is a little bit more mega than you, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Yeah. you know, there's always that, you know, that aspect of it that, you know, things could get Western real quick, you know, and what are you going to do? I think that's, I think that's the other thing too, man. Is like, I don't know. It, it makes you think about what's my exit strategy too. You know what I mean? Cause I know that I even think about it now. Like when I go out, cause I hunt predominantly by myself, like 90% of the time, like I usually don't have, you know, I don't hunt with somebody or whatever. It's usually always solo. And yeah. so I always kind of have to have an exit strategy because it's like, I'm usually like my own first option to get myself out of trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah. And so yeah, when I go in, it's, I have to kind of plan for like, well, if something goes bad, like how am I, how am I dealing with it? How am I getting, how am I getting out of here? You know what I mean? And the first thing people do often is they freak out, you know what I mean? And that's like the worst thing to, you could possibly do, you know what I mean? It's like, you need to kind of, yeah. you know, I got lost in Ohio actually. I haven't told no this. Kidding. Yeah. Well, it was the first time I went to this particular spot. It was kind of a big woods piece and I'd never been there before. It was, you know, my first trip out, uh, you know, out to, out to Ohio. And, um, I got out there and it was an afternoon or like a late morning. We got there. I set up camp. I was with two buddies and we were all going different places to hunt. And I was like, well, I'm going to go over here near this, you know, there, there's this river system and up on this, uh, this mountain, you know, I guess it's really like the, the, the drop off into the river or whatever. It's like, I'm going to get up yeah. on top of that and kind of scout and figure out where I might want to set up and try to make a plan for the rest of the week that we're going to be here or whatever. And if I find something decent, I'm going to set up. So I went up and started walking and like, I mean, it was just a bunch of blowdowns and like, it was just super gnarly thick. Like it was just, it was, it was like some jungle shit. 
And when I got yeah. in there, I kind of got turned around really quick after I went over like two ridges and got turned around and was like, it was like, Oh shit, where am I at? You know? And I, and I was like, well, let me look at my GPS real quick, pulled out my GPS and it turned on and the truck ride out to Ohio the entire way. And my, my batteries died and I had nothing <laughs> like I had no waypoints, had no clue where I was at. And so then I was like, all right, well, let me try to, you know, backtrack my way out of here and get to like, at least a place that like looks familiar so I can figure out how I'm going to get out of here. And so I did that, but in doing that, like there was so much blowdown, everything just looked the same. And so what I ended up doing was I ended up walking in a circle and I came back and I found like an area where I had walked before because I could see my boot print. And I was like, oh no shit, shit, I just, walked, I just, I was like, I just walked in a circle. I was like, that is like classic 101, like you're lost, <laughs> you know? And right. so, yeah. you know, of course, like you start to breathe a little bit heavy and you start to get a little worried, you know what I mean? And cause at that point I had walked like, I don't know, probably like close to 45 minutes, maybe an hour. I had hiked into this place before I realized that my GPS didn't work. And, um, so I was not, I wasn't close to the truck, you know what I mean? Like I was a pretty, pretty fur piece away. And, um, so the first thing I did was I was like, all right, I was like, sit down, take a breather, get some water, you know, just try to calm yourself down, like, you know, and and make a plan, like, and figure out how you're going to get out of this. And so the first thing I did is I went through and like, just kind of looked at like, you know, what food do I have? How much water do I have? If I have to stay here overnight, like I got matches, I can make a fire, like how many clothes do I have like to stay warm? And just kind of went through like the Rolodex of like, what gear do I have with me? And then literally made a list in my mind of like, as I'm getting tired, like what's the first pieces of gear I'm willing to drop and and lose, you know, if I have to shed weight, if I'm getting too tired, like to try to make my way out of here or whatever. And so I made a list of like, okay, this is the first thing I dropped. This is the second, this is what I'll drop. And these are like the bare essentials that I'm going to have to keep with me. And so I made that plan. And then I was like, all right, think about this. If you were, (laughs) if you were a native American or anyone else and you didn't have modern technology to help you get the hell out of here, how would you get out of here? And what I realized was, I was like, you know what, if I hiked at the top of this, there was still a little bit of sun up. I was like, I bet if I get to the top of this ridge, I was like, if I use my stand and climb as high as I can possibly climb and maybe climb some additional branches, I can probably get high enough to see the glare off the water. And I know my direction out is toward the water. I was like, so if I can at least see the glare off the water, I don't need to see the river. I just need to see the glare. If I can see that, I'll know which direction I need to head in. And so that's what I did. I got to the top. I climbed a tree, saw the glare and knew generally what direction I needed to walk in. And I walked that way and ended up hitting the road. And once I hit the road, I knew, you know, which, which direction my truck, my truck was. No kidding, man. That's enough. Yeah. Yeah, So that was, uh, that was a good time. (laughs) Damn. I bet. So, I mean, especially in a spot where you didn't expect to get lost. Dude, I would have never thought in a million years I was going to get lost in that spot. You know, never in a million years, you know, but like Montana, you're probably like, there's a good chance I'm going to get lost. Yeah. I was kind of walking into it expecting like to at some point get turned around, you know what I mean? Like, you know, and, and, but I mean, that was a valuable lesson. Like I like now incessantly check, like whatever I'm taking with me for GPS, like whether it's my phone and on X, I always carry like an extra phone charger with me. And you know, if I'm, if I'm totally hunting by myself, then it's like, I have the in reach with me too. You know, that way, yeah, I'm, for sure. that way I'm covered, you know, I need to get old school and just learn how to read a compass. So I don't have to worry about it and just carry that with me. You <laughs> yeah. Know? No like, kidding. Right. Yeah. And that I'm going to start what? doing, ma- I'm going to start doing math with an abacus too, just to show people. Like, <laughs> <laughs> it's one up everybody on your like nature skills. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's funny. exactly. I, I've uh, never actually been lost. I've been kind of turned around in Colorado 
but I was with a group of guys. I wasn't by myself. So we were like, all right. We like, we were both kind of like, ah, hold on a second. Um, all right. So I think this way. And we kind of got into a spot where we're like, ah, man, I don't know how to get it. There was, it was weird. We kind of ran into a swamp type area, like back in the mountains a little bit. And mm-hmm. it was just hard to get through. Everything was like full of water. And we kind of like found ourselves in the middle of it. And it was pretty miserable. We were back there a ways and we we're like, ah, shit, what do we do here? And we can't, we figured it out, of course, but it wasn't like solo, oh, fuck, I don't know where I am type thing, you know? Right, right. Yeah, the silver lining of that getting lost story was I ended up stumbling across killer sign on my way out, and I ended up sitting there and like two days later killing a a nice Pope and Young 10 point out of there on on like the third. Hell yeah. So it was (laughs) like. I was like, sweet. I was like, at least it was worth it stumbling around the, the woods for an, for an evening trying to figure out where the hell I was at. I was like, at least it paid off. Right. But you but, you uh, were circle scouting. Yeah, man. It's like I had it all figured out, dude. Like, right. <laughs> you knew what you were doing. Right. But I mean, speaking awesome. of uh, getting back to deer hunting, dude, I want to, you know, just I want to be sensitive to your time, man, because I know you got a young family and stuff like that. I want to make sure you get a little bit of time to spend with them this evening here. But, uh, Two last questions for you that I want to that I want to cover. And the first one is, is I know we talked a little bit about this earlier that you know don't like to be you know neither of us like to be cocky headed into the season or whatever. But want to get a sense from you, man, for this year. You know, what are your goals for this season? And you know, do you have any you know somewhat bold predictions for yourself? You know, it's going to be like the lamest answer, probably. Um, I don't have any like bold predictions, really. I kind of go in with like the open mindset of like, I'm going to figure it out again um, and just kind of see what opportunities arise with, you know, different bucks on trail cam or what I'm seeing for sign and kind of roll with the punches. Um, You know, every year with whitetails, I'd like to kill a good buck. Um, I think killing my personal best is always on, on the docket. Um, I'd like to kill like that 160 plus buck this year. Um, but you know, I'm not, I'm not stuck on that. If I don't shoot that buck, it's not going to bum me out. I get how it is. Um, but I would like to kill at least one good mature whitetail buck and a good doe or two for some meat for the family. But other than that, I mean, sorry, it's kind of anticlimactic answer here, but I just, I'm going in, I'm hoping to learn some things and hoping to find a good buck that's worth chasing after and, and going after it, man, just in general. Um, I'm excited to, to grind and peel into it a little bit, learn some shit as I go, especially with the new property. You know, I don't know what to expect. Yeah, man, that's always exciting, dude. Whenever you have some places that are kind of, you know, freshy fresh and, you know, you don't really, you know, you, you, you can't predict anything, you know what I mean? Like that's always kind of exciting to me. It's like, I, I'm very much a, uh, you know, probably gets me into some trouble once in a while, but I'm very much the guy that's like, Hey, what's over that next Ridge? you know what I mean? Type of thing. Oh yeah. That's, that's very much the way I kind of approach things. And for me, I have, geez, man, I think there's only two properties this year, uh, public pieces that I actually have hunted in the past. Everything else that I have that I'm kind of planning to hunt this year is all brand new, like first year in. Um, very cool. So, very cool. Yeah. So I'm looking forward to that. Cause you, it's exciting as you don't know, like there could be that monster there, totally. you know, on a piece that you're not familiar with, like something could surprise you, which yeah. is cool. Um, I lost a property and gained a new property. Um, so I got to learn that I don't have public close to me. I have public, you know, if I want to drive a little bit, I can get there. And I thought about dabbling around and trying to tackle it on some of that. Cause I know Mm -hmm. the, this, it's kind of like the, the public I have around me, it's all the same distance kind of within a circle of where I'm at. Um, 
So there's a couple spots, a spot where my dad lives, where it's, my dad's an hour from me and he's got a piece of public, not too far. One of my buddies lives about 45 minutes and he's got a uh, public, but 15 minutes for him, his place. I always think about checking out, but it's hard to like leave deer for other deer for me. Yeah. Um, but I, I was just going to say that totally makes, that totally makes sense. Like it's, you know, if, um, you know, when you have, you know, you said it perfectly. It's like widely, like it's hard to leave deer for deer. You know what I mean? Like, cause I'm the same way. It's like, if there's a piece that I'm, that I've hunted in the past, like there's one piece that I always kind of, you know, make sure that I check in on because hunting here in the Eastern PA, it's like, it's the one spot that I've actually found. Um, two years ago I had and this for Pennsylvania is crazy, especially in the Eastern part of PA. It's like, I had a deer in there. It was 150 inches in a swamp. Like, and just nice. could not figure out how to, could not figure out how to kill him. But there was also for PA, I mean, there were two deer, there was, there was that deer. And then there were two other ones in there that were probably mid one thirties. And I'd never found a place like that around here before that actually had like that quality of deer where they were all three and a half and four and a half year old bucks, you know? And then yeah. the odd thing was, was last year, I never heard of anybody killing any of them and, and none of them were around last year. Not even a truck camera picture of any of them. Okay. Right. But that's one spot I always kind of go back to every year and kind of keep tabs on because it's just this little like hidey hole out of the way spot that's only like 25 acres. It's sandwiched in between a bunch of houses like this is a little small piece of public that everybody overlooks. And it's just reason being is that it sucks to hunt it. <laughs> Number one, it sucks getting in and out yeah. of it. But deer just lay in there and get age on them because no one bothers them. You know, but last right. year, yeah. the, there's one crop field that's not too far away that I think it's like their main destination food source. And that last year changed the first year. Whenever I had those good deer in there, I think it was beans and last year it was corn. And so it mm-hmm. kind of, ja- it kind of jacked things up cause it was slow in general. Like I just, I wasn't even getting does on camera in there. And I think they were all staying in the corn cause it got real wet and the farmers couldn't take the corn out. So the corn stayed up for like an extended period of time. Ah, so, no kidding. Yeah. So, but that was, I got a couple water access places for this year too, that I'm kayaking into, um, that. Oh, very so, cool. I, and I just did a camera pool there because I had some, I needed to figure out if I had the cameras in the right spots. And I had actually a handful of like bucks that show some promise for this area that actually ended up cruising by. So looking forward right. to, uh, looking forward to that spot, man. But so the last question, dude, I always keep this one for the end. Um, it's a, a simple question, sometimes complex answer. It's a doozy. It's a long one too. You ready? Yeah. <laughs> Why does Kurt Geyer hunt? That is a very simple but tough question. You're right. It's, um, <laughs> my question might be a little different than a lot of people's, but I'll be honest with it. Hunting kind of grabbed my interest at a young age when I was like nine or ten. And it was one of those things that kept me attached to something and made me be passionate about something and willing to learn on something my entire life, like growing up, even like times where I guess where like growing up could be the hardest when you're turning into a teenager and then going from a teenager to an adult where I was a very rowdy kid, you know, I was a BMX kid. I was a hardcore kid, a metal kid. So and a kickboxing kid. So you can imagine what kind of shit I got into from right. in my teens and going in from, you know, when I'm 18, 19, 20, 21, it was the one thing that kept me out of trouble. If we're being completely honest, where, you know, I wanted to make bad decisions and do certain things that were probably against my better judgment or against society's um, <laughs> better judgment. 
Um, it was the one thing that I said, I can't do that because I need to hunt. Like, don't right. don't mess up here because you got, you got to hunt. It was the one thing that um, basically kept me on the straight and narrow my whole life and kept me passionate about something and kept me focused on something. I think it's because you never know at all, like what we talked about earlier. Like, yeah. it constantly has my brain thinking ahead and, and challenging me and, and keeping me humbled and trying to keep me a good person and all, I guess, aspects of whatever it takes, wherever it takes me, you know, it it brings me new adventure. Um, it makes me think about life a little more. Um, it makes me basically help other people and makes, it just makes me a better person in general, but mainly it kept me on track in my life up to this point. And I'm super grateful for it. I'm glad that I found it in my life. And I honestly don't know where I would be if I didn't have it in my life. I think I'd, I'd probably be in jail honestly. Uh, and I know that no one's probably ever said that, but I'm just being real. Like I'm, I'm a wild mind. Um, I'm a rowdy individual. And it's that one thing that keeps me, keeps me honed in. You know what I mean? Yeah. I hope that makes I, sense. Yeah, no, it totally does, man. And that's, I think that's the thing that I love. You know, one of the things I love most about hunting is that it's there for everyone to use and, uh, for whatever purposes they, they, that they need to use it for. You know what I mean? Like that's, I think the part of the beauty and is it's so multiple and adaptive and you can use it and make it, you know, fit for what you need it to be in your life. And it, even at different times in your life, you know what I mean? That it, of course, it, yeah. it means different things, you know what I mean? So I think that that answer's perfect. And I think it's the, the perfect way to wrap things up. But, uh, before I let you go, man, let everyone out there know where they can find out more about you, where they can find out and listen to the working class bow hunter. Yeah, we're available on any podcast platform. It's called Working Class Bowhunter Podcast, uh, workingclassbowhunter.com. Um, just search us up, and we're real relaxed. We have a good time, and uh, we hope you enjoy it. Awesome, brother. Well, I appreciate you coming on, man. We need to do it again soon. It's not It's not, uh, It's not. not take so long next time. I <laughs> No kidding, man. You have to come on our show now. I really appreciate you having me on, man. It means, it means a lot, and I'm glad we're able to get it done finally. All right, folks, that is a wrap for today's show. I'd like to thank all of you for listening. And if you haven't yet, please head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star rating and be sure to subscribe to the podcast. And hell, while you're at it, head over to YouTube and give us a subscribe there as well. I'll be super appreciative if you do those couple things for me. And before I shut this thing down, I need to give a big shout out to our partners who continue to help us make this podcast possible. Tethered, Exodus Outdoor Gear, Skull Brew Coffee Company, and Gumleaf USA Boots. And until next time, we'll see y'all. All right, gang, the new Truth merch is in stock at truthfromthestand.com and on YouTube below any of the Truth From The Stand videos. I've got some new hats, beanies, t-shirts, long-sleeve t-shirts, and sweatshirts. There's even a new do-hard-shit hat for those of us who like to embrace micro-dosing adversity. So head to truthfromthestand.com and check out the new gear and use the code TRUTH, T-R-U-T-H, and save yourself some cash on the new gear.